So what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we talk to interesting people such as Don the King over here. We go through their life story, and we learn a little bit about them. So Don the King here caught my interest when I saw he started releasing these remixes to Montreal artists on Instagram, which I just want to give you your flowers on because I'll be watching a lot of people chase in a lot of ways. But to focus on your own city and to like showcase the talent here, bro, that's lit. I don't even Respect. see people doing that kind of stuff, so it made me real excited. But even bigger than that, he releases this tape, and I'm going through the track list of this, and I see my man Showbiz right there in the middle of all these songs, and I'm like, not only is this guy out there remixing music, making some beautiful sounds, he's going as far as to dig in and finding people that like, Honestly, you got to be in the know to know about at this point. So I just had a lot of respect for that. And it's been a minute since we've talked to a producer up on the show. So I was hoping we could just kind of bring you on and run through it. It's a little bit different than your typical interview show. So I'm going to just start this off with my little opening question. It's going to be a little bit of a story. And then when it lands, you can kind of answer it in whichever direction you want. And it all kind of starts off with my girlfriend. She was washing uh, dishes one time. And she had that Black Eyed Peas song playing on her phone. The, I got a feeling. Ooh. She's vibing and she's dancing and she's doing her thing. And I look at her and I had this thought, like, when in the fuck did this song become chores music? Because, like, if you think about this song, you run it back to, like, 2010 and shit. This is, like, a celebratory anthem. Everybody's turning up and partying to this joint. You run it 10 years into the future. And now it's a bunch of people like doing dishes to this song, working out to this song, something that people put on to go back in time to this like place where they were, you know, celebrating and whatnot. And that got me just thinking about the journey of artists and whatnot. And when you look at a lot of these interviews and things like that, you see how almost everybody seems to be starting their journey when they first got into hip hop, or when they first started making music or whatever. And it almost seems like there's this giant chunk of their life that's missing. And I say that because if you really think about people's musical journeys and you run that shit back to like the youngest person ever, like when you popped out as a baby, there was probably songs and shit playing in the room that was being absorbed by a little you. And it got me thinking about my childhood, like being like five years old in the apartment and my dad had these gray boxes, the amps and the preamps and the tape decks and the radio with the wires going to the little ghetto surround sound system he built, playing all these Led Zeppelins and things like that in the daytime. At nighttime, we had all that 90s club music coming out through MC Mario's and all these different Mix 96 things. My mom, she liked the discos and the musicals and the love songs and all this kind of shit. And the thing is, is because I was so young i had no control over the music you're just kind of forced to listen to all this shit that your parents be putting on so i was hoping don the king you could bring us back to the youngest version of yourself that you could remember being and let us know both where you start your life and what it sounded like to be you before you had any control over the music well that's that's pretty that's pretty deep there pretty deep to start off well where i'm concerned you know i mostly you know grew up you know in the Caribbean, mostly grew up in a Caribbean house, you know, Jamaican, Grenadian household. And as I'm growing up, you know, ex always exposed, you know, to good kinds of music. Like, for example, always be exposed to like, you know, good reggae music, good dancehall music, even also, you know, hip hop on R&B too. So as I, as I was growing up, you know, always be exposed, you know, to good music. So from a young age, 
always I've been getting familiar with the good music from from back in the days. Like you remember where Windows Media Player back then is concerned, where Windows XP where you used to have like um the visualizer in the background as the music is played. Yes, the and it would go to the beat and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them kind from them kind of days. I was as I was small. I was you know getting familiar with that good music. So you know, as I was as I was growing up, you know. I would mostly, you know, me and my parents, you know, we always, you know, ghost always used to go to these, you know, events, you know, these Caribbean events, these, you know, Caribbean parties and stuff, you know, and mostly um Carabana and stuff. I would mostly get exposed, you know, a variety of, you know, good music, like, you know, good like eighties, nineties, reggae, dancehall, dancehall kind of music. And, you know, it was just it was just good stuff. And I and as I started to get older. I would mostly, you know, get experience, you know, experience hearing hip hop music, you know, for the first time, you know, I would mostly, you know, hear a good hip hop artist, like, for example, Biggie, Tupac, you know, Big L, Nas. And then I also, you know, would hear artists too, as growing up, like Chief Keef, like Chief Keef, you know, Drake and stuff. And this happened from like, from like when I was like, like around like, 10 years old, 8 to 10, you know, right. 8 to 10 to 12 years old. I was just trying to, you know, absorb them, absorb them kind of, you know, good music. And it felt pretty good here. And I remember being a kid and I used to hear that music and it was blown away because, you know, never heard that, you know, good music before. Very different than a lot of the music that they play in the radio because, you know, the radio don't be playing that good stuff like they used to nowadays. So as That's I was growing fact. up... So as I was growing up, you know, I would, you know, you know, go to high school. Before I went to high school, I remember Before my Before we get to high school, let's just uh, stay here for a quick second. Um, you were yeah. from Montreal? Like you were born here? Yeah, born in Montreal, born and raised. What part of Montreal are you from? LaSalle. Lit. That's Southwest things. Um, so you're growing up in LaSalle, and your parents are bringing you to a bunch of different places where you're hearing um, Caribbean music. Caravan is the big festival that they just canceled, right? Yeah. Fair enough. I went last year. It was late. Um, but I'd never really gone when I was younger. Um, so given how much of our lives are all kind of different, right? So you're growing up. You're being exposed to this music like this. And... Um, how are your parents consuming music? Like in my case, they, it was a lot of radio and these tapes. It was always these tapes they'd play in the car and shit for your world. It was it like the internet's already full force and you're like, your parents are, are just downloading joints. Like how are you guys actually getting exposed to new music when you're younger? Well, back in like, um, back in like the mid, back like the mid 2000s, early 2010s, you know, before Spotify, before Spotify and the internet became a thing, my parents will, you know, have these, you know, sets of CDs. So it's always, you know, recorded mm -hmm. on CDs, a lot of good music on CDs. So I'll basically, you know, you hear the music playing the speaker or basically you hear the music playing on a computer. And it's very interesting you mentioned how I heard the music because here's a story. When I was 10 years, when I was 10 years old, I remember that, you know, I was absorbed the good music, think it was good music, but there was no internet to stream it. So the way I would, you know, have a copy of this music, so I would listen to, listen to it myself, I would basically get the Nintendo DSi. I remember Flip Note. Uh, no. 
flip note say? okay flip note on the nintendo dsi is basically you know the app where you do animated cartoons i basically you know record your voice over it you do like you know drawings and stuff make cartoon animations so the thing i so the thing i would do i would basically you know open up flip note I would basically, you know, record a snippet of the music that's playing and where I would draw the animated characters, I would draw the name of the song. So each of that would be like 20 second snippets of, you know, the music that's recorded. And I would also, you know, use the voice recorder app in the DS and just record that music listen to my own time. So before Spotify was a thing, I was basically using Spotify before Spotify was a thing in a way you never expected that, to be used with a DS. That's actually wild. Because, yo, back in the day... We used to have the radio, and then you would put the tape in, and you would hit record and try to catch the shit off the radio, just like yeah. that, right? And you're taking that to a different level. Like, bro, I've I've asked this question. I've talked to like hundred, a good couple hundred people now. Nobody has been like, I busted out the animation program in the DSi, and then used the speaker there to create short videos for my. You were just on that YouTube shit before, like yeah. YouTube shit on your d like that's crazy to me because like i don't think i had a dsi that's around when like you know like i kind of moved a bit in different directions i'm an early adult now as much as i had my video games you know girls appearing a much more frequency and things so it's like you know priorities are shifting so yeah. i missed that i didn't even know that was happening there but the fact that you were able to leverage the technology at your disposal and come up with a means of creating almost these custom music videos which dead ass is a really useful skill to have as a kid through video games is a is a wild thought like especially when you consider how much people were against video games back in the day when you hear how kids yeah. were using it like some people used to use their playstations to record mixtapes mm -hmm. yeah but yeah and the so, thing uh, about that yeah, yeah go, go on go, go no, no no go for it and the thing about that too is i was doing that from when i was like i was from like when i was 10 years old i was doing that that's crazy to me. And so, like, before that, did you have interest in music? Like, when you were, like, young, young, did you, like, want to be a singer or, like, you dancing around? Like, did you have a connection to music beyond hearing it? Or were you just, like, a fan? Well, well I remember, you know, I started off I started off as a fan, you know, because, you know, I always used to love the music that's playing. Then as I was in grade four, as I was in grade four, as I was 10 years old, I decided, you know, they said to write a rap song they said to write a rap song as a joke, say it to my friends as a joke. I didn't really, you know, take it that much seriously. Just to say, hey, check what I wrote, you know, based on the music I would hear. Because, you know, from when I was in like grade 10, the music I listened to that time was like mostly Drake and Chief Keef. So when I wrote, that was kind of like, you know, Drake, Chief Keef influence. But it was just me, you know, just saying some kid stuff, you know, just as a joke. Right. That's yeah. cool, though. I didn't realize how big Chief Keef was till much later on, but it's wild that you're putting Drake and Chief Keef as like, these are the two, man. And I guess that's it. If you were at yeah. that age at that time, it was Drake and Chief Keef. Because that was the music that was popping at the time, especially, you know, what Drake's song, um, The Motto, I'm a man, you don't get it, do you? And the, and the song Chief Keef, um, what's the song? Um, I don't know, I don't know them, I don't like. Those are the big songs at the time. So it's impossible being that time and not hearing those songs. That's true. Um, 
I remember ignoring them at that point because I was like <laughs> starting to embrace the old man side of things. I was not that. It took a long time to like Chief Keef. Now nah, fucks with it, yeah. but like it took me a minute. So that's like the stuff that was inspiring you back then. But before that, you said you got into animation and you were like drawing on the thing. When did you get into drawing? Was that like something that you've also been doing well, when you were a kid? Well, well, the thing I was the thing I would do back then when I was a kid too. I would. I would have an interest not only there are three things I would have an interest from a young age. That would be like, you know, well, music came on afterwards, but the first two things I was interested in was art and writing. Cause you know, my strong suit was, you know, writing. I would always like to write and, you know, tell fictional stories. I remember too, I would, you know, get printing paper. I would just fold it together and just make my own comics and just, you know, write my own story. Then when I was smaller, too, during that time, I would, you know, practice in coloring books, you know, practice, you know, coloring the lines and them Spider-Man comic books. So you can basically say that's where my, you know, art interest started at that age. So Spider-Man helped you get into art. Basically. <laughs> that's lit, though. Because, yo, if you look at, like, a lot of people like comic books. And, like, yo, I've been talking. I, I, I've had the pleasure of talking to some 90s rappers and shits like that. People that, like, really grew up in, like, New York at that time. There is this wild number of people whose, like, career honestly starts with, I started drawing comic books when I was a kid. And then it moved on into all the musical shit. So, like, that puts you in some company of some great people is all I'm saying. And it's really cool to me. Like, my best friend does comic books. So, like, whenever I hear that, I'm like, that's wild. Where are you, like inventing worlds and like taking notes on all the characters or were you just kind of more impulsive with it well when i used to do these comics basically it would be like inspired from a lot of novels from from a lot of you know the comic book novels i used to you know get from school so basically you know like create my own story but based on that influence of those old comics that I used to read that i liked a lot right that's cool so then around 10 you start writing your first rap song you decide yeah this is great for yeah. You start showing it to your friends. Did they like it? Yeah, they liked it. Yeah, they liked it. You know, they was, they was laughing too because, you know, I, I just said, you know, write that as a joke too. But, you know, it was, pre boy, it was pretty cool, you know. There was, there was, you know, there was happy about it. Cool. Because, you so know, you I, had, I had fun with it. And they still had, I had fun with it too. And you kept going from that point? Well, from that from that point, as I was 10 years old, I just wrote it one time and then, you know, I just forgot about it. Then I remember too, one time, I was around 12 years old and my brother basically, you know, gave me, gave me a laptop, gave me a laptop, you know, as a, as a gift basically. And then I would do my thing. Then a year later, when he became 13 years old, that's when basically I started to have interest, you know, in doing music. So, you know, I wanted to record, you know, my first, my first few tunes. So I installed Audacity. Then basically, you know, record my music. Oh, you were able to it. just install Audacity at 13 on a computer. That's a wild thought. I know for you mm. this might seem like basic, but I'm 35. So sometimes I know that the people watching the show are going to be my age. And people my age have this habit where they don't realize that people that are younger also got access to Audacity and shit at the same time we did. So we exactly. were all adults doing this, and you were like 13 doing this we all had to save youtube and shit so a lot of times what i think happens is y'all hit your early 20s and we're all like Psh, they're kids because back when we were young we didn't have access to this shit but y'all seem to have been doing this for like years and years and years and years by the time you're an adult and i feel like it's just worth pointing out to the world that somebody like you 
got access to the tools at 13 years old with the time to like explore it yeah because basically during that time you know i'd like i'd like free time you know basically you know write some write some raps so basically i wanted to figure out what would be a good platform for me you know to record vocals on then i'm coming across you know audacity so basically you know installed it i'll basically you know use like earbuds and i record using the laptop microphone and back then, I remember when I used to record, you know, my very first music, there would be a thing I used to do where I'd be like, you know, pitch down, or I used to pitch down the vocals. Because, you know, during that time, my first thing doing it, you know, I was kind of shy doing it. So I basically pitched down my vocals. I'll make it, you know, unrecognizable. But, you know, as I started doing it, I started, you know, build up more confidence. So I stopped pitching my vocals and just let my vocals stay the way it is. And it was basically like, a, you know, young third you know young kid young donna king rapping from that time too were you releasing it at that point what were you releasing those uh songs when you like pitched on the vocals and stuff or was that just like stuff you made for your vault well when it came to them songs I used to make a lot of them songs you know for 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 personal thing and then i would release you know like a couple of months like a couple of months later, I'll, you know, start releasing a little bit of it on my Facebook. It was just one pitch down song, just one pitch down song. Then the rest would basically, you know, be like, you know, with my regular voice. Because when I was doing that stuff back then, before I went by the name Don the King, you know, I was going by the name, you know, Player Don. They used to be my old rap name. They used to be my old rap name back then. You know, that's back when I was, you know, doing this for fun. <laughs> right, right, right. And you're young. And when you're yeah. young, you come up with the best names, and then you get older and you think about those names. During that time, that was the hardest name I could come up with during that time. <laughs> well, to be honest, though, Player Don's not bad. It's a pretty good yeah. name. Yeah. And so you're you're still like 13. You're putting it out on Facebook. Uh, yeah. And uh, you made little videos with it, or like, so you, how did you like? I guess how did it go for you? Like you're you're at the point where you're like 13, trying to release music. Walk us through like that experience for you, because even now the kids of Distro Kids, so it's already different. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, when it came to my early stages of really, well, before I talk about releasing, I want to go and you know, talk about more how I record these music. I mentioned previously that I would use Audacity. Then when I would record some other songs, record some other songs too because you know my laptop stopped working so to you know use a desktop computer so the way i record these songs is that i'll basically you know grab my i would basically you know um grab my iphone i'll basically you know grab my iphone and you know record my vocals you know using my iphone before i use the voice recorder i'll basically open up the camera have my hands covering the camera now i'm basically you know like you know rap in front of the camera you know over the beat then i'll basically layer that layer me rapping with the instrumental track playing in windows um windows movie maker so basically put that together as one put that together as one song then basically you know put like you know handmade cover arts you know basically you know cover art drawing and stuff so mostly uploaded you know with just audio then when it came to like doing videos i would just basically you know record you know just little music videos me in selfie mode on on the ipod touch on the iPod Touch back when I was Iowa 6. That's wild. So you've been just like leveraging all the tools at your disposal to make content now. And it's crazy that like that the world went from like fat camera. Like it's still like, don't get me wrong, a fat camera that does everything nice is always perfect. But like we were just in New York honestly filming on iPhones and tablets because like the shit's good enough. 
So it's like you really were developing the skills you need to create content in the current era, like way back when most of exactly. us were like being too bougie to even figure out how to use tablets, right? Exactly, because, you know, during that time, you know, that's the foundation, you know, it's during them times where you're just, you know, figuring stuff out, which, you know, have an impact, you know, and you being the kind of experienced person right now is basically, you know, boys back, you know, to the stuff they used to do back then, you were figuring stuff out, it's concerned, that have an impact in the field, you know, you're trying to, you know, find success in. Right. Um. So you're doing that in high school. I guess you're running through that process or even, yeah, yeah, 13 year in high school and you're uh, releasing music as a teenager releasing music. Does this impact your social life? Are people like bigging you up? Do you become like the cool kid all of a sudden? Well, I remember, I remember when it came to like, you know, releasing, releasing that kind of music, you know, to my friends would be hyped, my friends would be hyped too, you know, they'll be, you know, they'll be, you know, happy, you know, because they see that I'm rapping and stuff too. And usually when they go to school and they start doing that kind of stuff too, you know, because, you know, most of my people on my Facebook are like friends, you know, from high school and friends, you know, that went to other high school, but mostly the majority of those friends were friends, you know, from high school. So they'll, you know, hear that stuff and they'll, you know, big they were like you know big me up and hype me up and not long after I released this track there was things to do too in my high school and my high school i would basically you know be mostly doing rap battles i'll be you know mm. mostly rap battle against people and during that time i was doing that when i went to my high school nobody else which was high school did you go battling. to hmm? which um, high school LaSalle high school that's right. all high school yeah so basically it'll be mostly doing rap battle and stuff you know rap battling because during that time nobody else is doing that stuff and when i was doing it with other people the whole the whole school would be so hype i remember one time i would do it and we would do it in the hallway near the exit i'll be so big so packed up literally the principal have to you know break us up and we'll basically you know do it do it in the field and i'll you know say some you know slick bars and stuff here do it in like the pizza shop near the school we would do it inside, we would do it outside. Basically, mostly anywhere in the school, we would just, you know, just be spitting and it would just be be a fun experience. And not long after I started doing rap battling, I started seeing, you know, a lot of people after me start doing rap battling school. So basically, you could say I was like the first, you know, one of the first to be doing rap battling because ever since wow. the majority of the people, the big kids in the school see me doing it, everybody else afterwards started doing it. I would say your school. I could say definitely other people did this at other schools, but it's cool to know that you kicked it off at like where you're at and doing your thing. Because everybody be interested to see, to see it. Everybody be interested, you know, to hear what a god is say and just be packed up, packed up. Yeah, that's wild. So you're doing all this. You're running through high school, releasing music. Do you, uh, outside of these battles, do you get like actual performance opportunities? Um, no, those, um, no, those just be, you know, just mostly for fun. It's, I wasn't taking it that seriously. So, yeah, just for fun, you're building up a whole fan base, you know, you're, you're, you're tearing it up at school. Um, yeah. And then I guess what kind of happens next is you're running through high school. Like, do you, do you, are you pursuing other shit at the same time? Like, do you have a, like, are you into sports? Like what's going on in your world? 
Well, you know, mostly, well, mostly when I was in high school, mostly when I was in high school and stuff, you know, I was mostly, you know, doing regular studies. So even though I would mostly, ha mostly have fun doing rap, I was, you know, I would mostly, you know, take school seriously because school, you know, because school to me, you know, always come first, nothing come before school. So I will mostly even be focused in doing my schoolwork and, you know, having fun with my friends too. Right. Um, so after high school, like, I guess, does it shift for you? Like, what kind of changes like in terms of well, music is i would point... say hey go on well i would say not most i would say not mostly after high school and like you know my midpoint like when they started going to like sec free i remember too when i was playing on you know i decided you know i decided you know i want to take my you know music you know more seriously so i decided you know change my rap name from play don to don the king because you know when i was when i was because when i when i became don the king you know i would see you know there's a lot of you know stuff going on in the world and stuff going on in the world and stuff you know you know stuff happening you know stuff happening you know around my environment that we hear about stuff too you know and as i was playing don i was mostly you know just choose to rap about you know you know foolish topics and stuff was taking it that serious it was kind of like you know playing it safe so you know to say you know forget play it on. let me just let me just be donna king and take this seriously and talk about you know real stuff because i feel like when i was played on even i was having fun i felt like you know i was you know keeping it as real as i want to you know keep it real so you know decided to be donna king and decided you know start keeping it more real so that's happened like when i was like you know 15 years old too and that started you know becoming donna king making music as Donna King, I started, you know, feel more happy with the music I was making. So happy to the point whenever I listened to the old music I did when I was played on. To this day, I feel embarrassed listening to the old stuff, you know, but, you know, it helped make me the artist, you know, the producer I am today. I think we all go through this uh, experience of going back to our older content and feeling it's a little foolish, <laughs> a little younger than we are Yeah, today. just cringe. <laughs> but it's good, though, because, yeah. like, yeah, but it's good though, cause like, um, if you like look at just your career so far, bro, like you're having epiphanies at like fifteen, that growing ups are still trying to figure out and shit. You decided to to kind of like just shift into something more mature. I guess the social climate of the last few years has been kind of weird. It's not a new thing, yeah. you know, as much as people act like COVID is the beginning of it. I'm like, nah, it's been kind of weird for a hot minute, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's cool that you chose to take like a more focused approach to your shit yeah. and then reinvent. And at the same time, too, you know, as I was fifteen, as I was fifteen years old, too, you know, I was starting, you know, notice, you know, the reality of the real world, too. Like I remember when I hear some stuff happen, hear some terrible news. Like for example, I remember I was watching um America's America's Most Wanted. I remember I seen an episode. I remember I seen an episode. They end up finding out that there was like this teenage girl, and they end up finding out this teenage girl, and you know, end up killing her parents. And when they found that out, I'm like, yo, so crazy, you know how you know you have a lot of people like this you know in the world that exists you know then end up finding you know finding a real world stuff you know so as a result i started making you know music you know more conscious kind of music that is reflective of you know of the world around me because i know that if i make that kind of music you know you know people correlate to this people can mostly relate to the music that's coming from don the king more in the music that's come from play it on because play it on just just foolish stuff a lot of people can relate to that so i said you know decided you know change 
myself into, you know, Donna King. And I feel more proud of it. And to this day, I'm still going by that name, Donna King. So that was the best choice I could ever make. It's a strong name. And if you think about the power of it, you know, being a king is, is not a weak position to be in. And there's like all the extra and meanings that come into it. Go on. Yeah, and plus two, you know, with Donna King too. Not only I chose that name too, cause a nice name too. At at the same time too, you know, I want to be a trend. I also want to be a trendsetter. I want to be a person following trends. You know, I want to be the person. You know, you know, to set the trend, set the wave. Right, which is what we should be aspiring for, especially in art. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people do follow trends, but I suppose you need people following trends. Otherwise, you don't have a trend. So to be a trendsetter, there has to be trend followers, but you still get to choose where you fit onto this spectrum. Um, when did you start producing, or were you producing like the whole time? Very good question. Remember during that time I told you that, you know, I ended up using Audacity and I recorded my first few tunes? Well, not long after that, you know, I remember when I was, I remember when I was smaller. I remember the thing, I remember the thing my, before that. I remember when I was smaller, a kid, going back to the kid again. I remember my main goal, you know, is to be an inventor, also create new things. So fast forward back to Audacity, during that time of Audacity, I will also, the thing I also want to be too as a producer, I remember I said to myself, I want to be a record producer, you know, like Dr. J and them and stuff. So the thing I ended up doing, you know, I ended up installing FL Studio, the child, mm -hmm. um, the free child version of FL Studio. Then, you know, I would end watch endless YouTube tutorials and stuff, you know, just how to get around and using FL Studio. So um, in my very first productions, you know, using FL Studio, using the stock sounds, just putting, you know, random stuff together. Then a lot of them productions, I would put, a lot of the songs I put off from when I was in high school, I'll basically, you know, mostly rap on those productions. So it's basically, you know, rapping and producing at the same time. And even from back then too, it was, you know, professional I need to be, but you know, just something to put together just to rap over stuff. So that's why I first discovered FL Studio at the age of 13, 14. So yeah, so you're that's basically... FL Studio 11. Fair. So you're just sitting there making your own beats and then also recording and engineering your own self, kind of turning yourself into a one-stop shop. Plus you're also practicing the videos because you said you were doing your selfie game a little bit. So um yeah as you're pursuing all this do you find like you're gaining some kind of a following online well you know i do notice that you know when i'm doing this kind of stuff you know i'm slowly you know building slow buzz you know when you're starting this you're not gonna you know get it right away you know it takes time so as the years as i kept doing this i would notice that you know my following starts to get more bigger and more bigger and i would notice that people you know would would recognize you know what get get familiar with hear my music and stuff i remember it was one time i went to a flea market when i was 16. i remember i was walking and a person came across and say don the king so the moment i heard that i noticed from you know i noticed That's that you know crazy. people starting to get you know familiar with my music and stuff so this random stranger saw you from the internet and knew who you were at the flea market well, not, well, not, you know, what random stranger, you know, mutuals. Right, right, but somebody, like, recognized you from your efforts. Yeah, 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 some people, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. So, like, you start producing and all this. Um, I guess kind of how does it evolve from the 15-year-old the age? What kind of, do you start collaborating with people? Or does it, what, what kind of comes next for you? Well, after, you know, I started doing, 
after I started doing producing, you know, I almost, you know, indulge, indulge myself, you know, in um, knowledge of how to, you know, produce better sounding beats. So I basically install, you know, sound kits and stuff and perfect my craft even more. Then, you know, I'll, you know, branch out and collaborate with producers, you know, who's starting out like me too. So I'm almost, you know, collaborate, you know, with producers who's in my circle, in my circle. Then, you know, collaborate, you know, with, you know, with producers that, you know, that live, you know, far from camp, from Canada too, but they'll mostly be, you know, following my music. So, you know, I'll just basically, you know, collab with them. I'll mostly do the melody. They'll do the drums because back when I was producing, the thing I was good at when I was producing back then when I was starting out was like the drum patterns. I wasn't really that good in, you know, doing melodies and stuff. So both I'll mostly, you know, get like loops from um Looperman and stuff, just you know, Looperman the thing, and right. just you know, just slap drums over a Looperman loops. But at the same time, I was doing that, you know, I was starting to get tired as I started doing it because you know, I actually want to, you know, learn how to make my own melodies. So the thing I would do would go on YouTube and learn how to make good melodies. So as I started doing, I started to branch out make my own melodies, make my own sound, develop my own identity as a producer. And I started happy, and as you know, was happy too, you know, because you know, I'm happy on you know, the fact that you know that I branched out and didn't become comfortable in one spot. I just want I, I was happy with the fact that you know I branched out. I want to do my own thing, and I want to try something different. Got out my comfort zone. That's as was, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm happy right. with the fact that I got out my comfort zone. And started, you know, making melodies and started developing my own sound. Cause I have some producers these days, you know, that's that's so comfortable with downloading loops that they don't see themselves beyond the loop stage. Cause some of them, you know, just you know don't want to don't want to take risks. Risk, I mean. Yeah, it's not even that different with vocalists. <laughs> it's the same type of shit. People be rapping about similar content, similar flows, and there's a. a so it's funny, like the short term play this will get you more money and clout faster if because like if you play the tight beat game as an example you're probably going to sell more beats right away because that's just what people are looking for in the same way that if like your whole artistry for rap is based on yo this shit's popping so i'm gonna make drill now yo this shit's popping so i'm gonna make this now like you're probably yeah. gonna get more like placements on playlists quicker than a lot of people trying to make unique art but longevity nah it's not there because when you make your own art you can define your own way like i reached a point i'm like 10 years into this shit now like and i reached a point where it's like i can adapt to whatever the fuck is happening if I got to go tone it down or whatever, I'll find my version of shit and make it fly in my own way. It's not going to pop with everybody, but nobody's doing it like me. And that's the goal I was trying to go for, which creates like deeper loyal fans, I find. At least if you're trying to do the underground shit. If you're trying to do like the pop shit, you're a product and it's mad different. <laughs> And at the same time, too, you know, as you're trying to, you know, create your own wave and sort of, you know, hopping on what's popular, too, you know, because, you know, that's going to make you hot today and, you know, cold tomorrow. So at the same time, too, you know, you start feeling good about yourself. You start feeling, you know, real yourself because, you know, what's the point of doing all that kind of stuff, you know, doing all that fake stuff, hopping on trends, 
when you look in the mirror, you don't even feel good about yourself. You don't even feel good about what you're doing. Nothing's more better than, you know, you just look at yourself in the mirror and like, wow, you know, I feel good in myself. You know, I feel, I actually feel proud and good what I'm doing and nothing's better. Nothing can replicate that feeling. So eventually all them, a lot of them produce that's playing the game right now. There's going to come in, a, there's going to come a time in the life eventually we're just going to have that self-reflection period. We're just going to sit down and sit down and just be like, wow, I'm being real myself right now. Eventually, they're going to come to that point eventually. Uh, eventually, maybe. <laughs> I've met a lot of artists. It's 50-50 eventually, come to that that's, point. That's if, if, that's if they want to come to that point. Because you have some people that come to that point and some people that choose not to come to that point and still choose to be in that same spot. So that don't apply to everybody. But, you know, big up to the people, you know, that have that self-reflection real, that self -reflection period and really look into themselves. I think themselves. It's, it's also like it's not supposed to be easy to do your own thing in art. It's like pretty miserable sometimes because like often you're going against the mold what you're doing is literally different than what other people are doing. So people have a hard time relating to it at first. And then inevitably people just, yeah. it, they get it. They see that what you're doing is actually like fire because it's different. But like when people encounter different yeah. at first, they don't, they don't like it. it like, There's this crazy trend in music where the first song in a new sound tends to flop, but the second song goes really hard. Like the first guy to copy the first guy, the new guy, that guy, single. But the first one, he tends to have a lot harder time making it fly like that, which I think is an interesting phenomenon. So it's sometimes a little thankless to be like innovative with it. But I agree with what you're saying in terms of being able to look at yourself. And because like, like even this interview format, like, yo, we, we figured out how to do something that if you go watch other people's shows, they got to ask you questions. There's ways to make you answer questions without asking the questions. And that creates a cooler feel. Exactly. And, and so, like, we, we, it wasn't just random. I'd been podcasting for, like, six years or some shit, doing other shit before, like, we fell on this. And we fought the trends. And I could, because, yo, otherwise you're just every other fucking show. And there's no reason to really follow you because younger, hotter you is going to show up every single time. It just no matter how it works, there's always younger, hotter you. So if you want to stand the exactly. test of time, you almost have to come up with a way to provide value. Like, this whole show is meant to be like, I mean, it's called Bridge the Gap because we're trying to bridge the gap of cultures and shit. But also, like, yo, maybe somebody's right now sitting there with a Nintendo DSi and is like, say word. And then they make a little song and it is, you know, like what I'm saying, like people have these moments where somebody's looking at their kid now playing video games and are like, you know, maybe they'll make music because of this. That fucking Don the King guy did. <laughs> so it's like there's value in extracting exactly. these these like toolkits from people's lives. And then if you're wise about the art game, you leverage all the toolkits at your disposal. So I wanted to learn more about being a better artist. What's the best way? Just fucking ask artists questions and shit. You get a lot of information. People tell me what to Google all the time on this show. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. And the thing about it too, when it came for me, you know, when it came, you know, for me, you know, doing my own thing, you know, for the longest while I'm a YouTube channel and my YouTube channel is Donny King Beats too. That's my YouTube channel. 
I remember where my YouTube channel's concerned for the longest, for the longest while. I'll be mostly, you know, doing tight beats and stuff. Then as the years go on as doing tight beats, I'll see there is these tight beats that's getting popular. So I wouldn't, you know, try and make tight beats based on the tight beats that's famous. I'll basically, you know, do tight beats on the certain kind of artists that that that, that, that who sounded personally rock with. Like, you know, from back then, I'll basically, you know, do like, you know, from 2017, I'll mostly, you know, you do Young Dolph, you know, you Young Dolph, Gucci main type beats. Then 2018, 2019, I'll do a play by Cardi, Mexico Joe type beats. Then, you know, 2020, 2021, I'll mostly, you know, do Little Dirk and Little Dirk and Little Baby type beats. But the thing about that is, I'll notice that. For you to be popping on YouTube type beats is concerned, you always have to, you know, make the beats that is popular, make the type beats that people are searching for. And if you don't, you know, conform yourself to a certain kind of sound, you know, no one's going to rock you. And, you know, at the same time, I kind of got tired. So at the same time, I step away from, you know, doing tight, doing tight beats. And you can check out my YouTube channel too. The last time I pulled a tight beat was basically like a year ago. So basically, you know, the thing I mostly do right now, I have a, you know, beat beat page or mostly upload my beats that I feel like making. Like, for example, I tell you how much I like that big end two pack stuff. So I mostly make like, you know, smooth boom bat type beat because, you know, that's a sound I'm, you know, familiar with. That's the kind of sound I like. And it felt refreshing making a beat that a lot of people ain't, you know, hell bent on looking for. And I felt, you know, kind of refreshing too, you know. And even though I haven't uploaded, you know, on YouTube in so long, you know, it felt refreshing. Cause at the same time, when I make them kind of little Dirk, little baby kind of beats, I'll basically you know, do a hashtag research, you know, make certain kind of tags for this video, certain kind of tags for that video. Yo, tell the After people about my your, videos turned away. Describe the, a bit about the hashtag research process you do, because, you know, a lot of people don't really know what that means. Okay, let me let me let me explain it like this. Um, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna talk about you know for producers too. You know, whenever you're you're making like this is free game. You know, this is like free game. This is like you know advice for a lot of bunch of producers. You know, whenever you're like you know making tight beats and stuff. You know, too. You know, let's say for example you're making little Dirk, little baby, little baby type beat. You have to do like you know SEO keyword research. So it's basically like, you know there's no, there's excited. basically you no know, websites. Fun. There's basically you know websites. I forgot the name of the website, but you know there's some out there where you could basically you know type um little baby type beats. You know little baby. Like for example, little baby type beats. And you click search. Then you basically you know see a whole bunch of results of you know possible you know keywords of like for example free little baby type beat 2023 little baby little dirk um little baby gunner type b you just basically you know copy paste that you know you put that in the description too and also too there is software called um tubebuddy and vidiq mm. you have you know stuff with tubebuddy and vidiq where basically you know install as an extension on your like you know youtube account and youtube account and stuff so as you're typing the tags too you know you can like you know search which tags to use then you basically like you know see you see like which tag is good like if it's in the green then it's good to use it's it's good to use not much people is using it if it's in the yellow yeah some people that's using it and some people that's not and if it's in the red do not use that kind of stuff because you know too many people's using that so you know you're building them um, you know knowledge of 
what good tags to use and what you know good tags not to use so basically you know you know make them more organized and don't use the same tags in every single beat try changing up your hashtags you know, not hashtag try changing up your tags you know and like every single beat like slightly changing up a bit and not only you put the tags in the tag section as you're uploading your beats to youtube you want to paste that in the description of the Z at the bottom, bottom of the description. So basically, yeah, actually, as you I'm have it there. I never I'm not even going to lie. I never thought to do that. But as you're describing it, I'm like, say where they do read the description now more than they read the keywords, which is a fact. Well, well, they don't read. Well, people, well, when you put that in I'm a lot say of videos, they, see, I mean, uh, the algorithm. True, like, true, true, yeah. The algorithm reads I'm the description and weights it heavier than keywords right now. YouTube even told us keywords is like, eh. But you're saying put it in. I'm like, yo, you're right, because that makes a difference. That's a really good tip. Like, legit. And plus, too, the reason why that's good, too, is because not only YouTube bring it out bring it out there, but let's say, for example, like, for example, um, you're um, behind the gap, um, you're behind the gap, you know, interview for interview for example like for like for example like i remember there was this one interview you did with Lewis god let's say that interview for example you know people type you know behind the gap t um um you type on behind the gap Lewis god but the way that people you know because you want to make it easier to find so you put in a description of example behind a gap tv like say you know holden stephen roy for example so you put behind a gap tv Holden C. Freud, Deuce God. So in case people not don't know the exact keywords, they'll basically, you know, type that out. And people type that up and your video pops up just because of that keyword you put in the description. Because whenever you type something in YouTube, like a certain keyword, for example, most definitely the reason why YouTube pull that up is because that keyword is emphasized in the description of the video. Right. Also, the title, like it, it, and if you want like an extra tip on YouTube for those of you doing um, conversational shit, uh, say the keyword like three times in the first ninety seconds of your video, and if you now listen to your YouTubers, you're gonna hear it every fucking video. But they always keyword stuff. Like the first two to three minutes is just pure keyword stuffing. Welcome to the news. Today we're going to watch Fallout 76 updates. And in today's video, with all the Fallout 76 updates, and like they'll plug it like that over and because it's now capable of in real time scanning every word of a three hour video and know exactly like what it is. It's crazy shit how good it's gotten at it. So, like, and then that means also like put it on screen. So let's say like maybe not like fully, but like have your main keyword a little bit be on screen in some way. So like it's it's super interesting to have like how like SEO evolves and then it like changes slightly for every platform. But the same principles apply even on TikTok now. They're like, don't put hashtags as much, but make your description longer and stuff it with keywords. And the thing about it too, you know, there's two more things. There's two more things I'm going to say where this is concerned, you know, another two, two more sets of advice. One for producer, one for artist, one for producer. Not only you want to make, you know, good, good tags and description, good tags. Cause usually when you put the tags in the tag section, there's like a little circle that let you know when you're in the green, like for example, the show percentage, like for example, 42 out of 50, if you're in the yellow or in the green, 
and you're typing it out, it's basically on the right tracks. The thing that makes it go in the yellow and the green is not only if the tag is written good, the tags are in the description, but most see if the title is titled good for the beats. So you gotta, you know, do some research, you know, how to title a beat. Cause the title of the beat counts too, you know. Like for example, your beats, cause the things that's popping in YouTube is free type beats. So basically, you know, like for example, free um little baby gonna type beat 2020, free little baby gonna type beat, you know, 2023, or basically, you know, put the title after the free as times go on you know it changes over and so so what worked for you you know this year where doing this concern it may not necessarily work for you next year so i recommend you know for producers to do the research and for artists too up and coming artists too put tags in the description too the thing they a lot of artists are sleeping on too they should put you know snippets of you know the lyrics inside the tags too so they basically should like for example donna king like, you know, like, you know, Donna King, like, for example, you know, I'm doing this for you. Like, for example, the name of the song is, you know, Hype. And my lyric is, I'm doing this. A lot of people may not know that the song is called Hype, but they'll know the lyrics, I'm doing this. So I would, you know, try to put like, you know, Donna King, I'm doing this. So if people, you know, type my name and that, that's a pop-up. So in case the song blow up and get famous and they may not know the name, they know that lyrics. So when they type it up, you know, I recommend it to more people. And that's a lot of artists to sleep on. They should add tags to it themselves. You know, they just got to do research. And as an artist, it's not easy, you know, finding good tags too, you know, because, you know, there's a lot. Of, it's not easy finding good tags too. So, you know, just, just common sense thing. Put like, you know, your name put the lyrics and your, the lyrics and your name too, put, you know, in Montreal rap songs and all that too. Just relevant stuff around your music is concerned. Yeah, I usually go with shit too, like Montreal Underground. Like, tell people you're underground, tell people you're unsigned, tell people all this in your tags, because, yo, people, especially on Instagram, like, I learned a lot about Instagram, is that you can search for people via hashtags. Like, if you want a Montreal producer search hashtag Montreal producer and watch you'll find like half the producers in the city on Instagram like that and I started like doing yeah. that and then so that way you put Montreal unsigned artist Montreal this bunch so like you got to think strategically like I'm not even gonna lie I haven't really I, I got I haven't sat there and really done this in a while so I'm just putting a lot of different shits for hashtags like my man's is experimenting with like what happens if you put hashtag ADHD hashtag this so, you know we're, we're playing around with baiting it but really like if you can figure out what people are going to actually search for on hashtags and in the same way <clears throat> if you can find like I don't know let's say Montreal rappers has 50,000 and then Montreal rapper has like a different amount like target the ones that have less people on it you'll actually start to show up in relevant content on these hashtags when people show up there you go. and just to add on more what you said that is that that's very good that's very good you know jamming game right there too you gotta you know put yourself in the um you gotta put yourself in like you know your audience position audience position because you gotta put yourself in an audience position where you gotta figure out how is people going to find my content? Just what is people going to, how is people going to find my content? So, you know, go do a better hashtag research. A lot of mistakes people make is, that, and I, and I make the mistake, make the same mistake myself too, where, you know, adding hashtag where they think just because they have millions of people, lots of people, they think that's going to get them, you know, more and more attention. But in reality, it's going to get more over, it's, 
it's going to get, you know, pushed at the bottom because always more posts being added daily, like every few seconds. So you got to go with the one with the less volume because chances are people, you know, is mostly looking at those hashtags. So as a result, you know, people end up, you know, your video end up being brought to more people that way compared to that had a bull hunch, whole bunch of hashtags with millions with millions of people, millions of views looking at it. So you just got to be strategic and put yourself in an audience position. Also, hashtag yourself. I feel like silly because if I had hashtagged myself, just holding Stefan Roy on like every post I'd made from all my accounts, I'd probably have like five, 600 posts right now on that hashtag. Then when people search and see your name with that many posts, now it's not a crazy number, but it's a crazy number for an independent artist. Right, because like in the very yeah. lowest tiers, like yo, people be having seventeen hashtags on there, you know, and it's all of them. But if you're able to generate people hashtagging your name and get people to tag you and hashtag your name, so it comes from different accounts now, it creates attraction so that instead of like it, it creates you be it creates exposure for you because your hashtag now shows up in the search quicker. Like I'd rather a hashtag of me show up quicker than my account, so people are like, what the fuck. You know, and then they see all that wide array of shit and then go find my account from that point. So, like, these are the kinds of things I'm looking same, into building. Yeah, go on. And at the same time, and at the same time, too, where that's concerned at the same time, don't do research to it at the same time, you know. And in case you wonder where I start, where I start, there's YouTube tutorials like YouTube is informative more than it has been, like, 10, 15 years ago. Because there used to be a time back then where, you know, people before me would be doing this kind of thing I'm doing. But back then, you know, they didn't have, like back in 2010, had to like, you know, figure that, that stuff out for themselves. There was in YouTube videos back then where people just give the game for free. Back then, people have to like, you know, pay for like handbooks and stuff just to get the gem and information. So nowadays too, there's so much, you know, resourceful information at your disposal. You just gotta know what, you just gotta, you know, what to look for. You just gotta search deep for it. And don't look for the videos the big views because the views of the the, tu the tutorials of the big views aren't helpful at all they're not it's always the videos with the less views and the big views that are extremely helpful because you're in the same position you and so when you find someone else who's in the same position like you giving gems they're more realistic they're more you know real compared to the ones with the millions of views and stuff yeah you make just gonna facts there because it's just going to give the information that is more trendy. They're going to give a lot of stuff out because they feel, okay, I made it. I made it. I'm super famous. Now I got to, you know, try. I got to, you know, put on the game. I got to, you know, charge. I got to, you know, charge for that for people to know that information. So a big shout out to the people that is in the same position that we're in. They don't hold the game that give the game for free. And there's people that they should always look information from then the people who's money hungry and the mm. people just agree on keep that and keep all that knowledge to themselves because the knowledge must spread. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, it's an, it, this is an interesting side point because personally, I want to sell courses, but I also want to give away all the content in the courses for free. And I think you can do both. Cause exactly. you got to monetize. So you do. And what I realized is like, Cause like end of the day, at a certain point, you're like, I would like to get paid to do this so I could just keep doing this and I'll have to go to work. Right. That, that is a certain, like at a certain point, day job life is what it is. Right. Um, and you, you kind of like, how can I make money off this? So I feel weird about when people have knowledge and they don't share it right at all. 
But then you have guys like Ty Lopez, who strangely enough, shares all of his knowledge publicly on podcasts and then charges people for the exact same knowledge. So I look at it like, if I'm willing to give away all of my knowledge for free publicly, and people still want to pay me for exactly the same knowledge I just gave away publicly, I'm very comfortable with that. So like, I'm going to write courses, then um, I'm going to package the courses one way for sale. But then I'm going to make YouTube videos where I chop it up and basically say the same shit there. And then I'm going to chop it up even more for TikTok. And maybe it's out of order or a little bit more inconvenient to watch it for free. But it's all going to be there. And then I'm just going to make it look all fancy for the paid version. And all that you're getting is different production values. But it's the same core content. And you know what's crazy? Motherfuckers are going to watch the free shit and then pay for the fucking shit. And it's the exact same bullshit at the end of the day. And at, and exactly at the same time too, you know, in any in everything you do, in compensation gotta be the compensation gotta be the number one key. But you can't make your whole world be based on money and 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 compensation because people are gonna see people are gonna see right through that. You know, people are gonna see right through that stuff. So as you're giving away, you know, free game, you gotta find a way to monetize, you know, off that game too. So you can basically, you know, give like the majority of free game out there but the other rest of the game you just gotta you know put a price tag on that mm. like busy works like for example busy works beats is concerned busy works if you look at his youtube channel it's just nothing but free game is given but if you want to you know let's find out more information on how to become a better producer you got to pay for like his courses like his you know master class and all that too and you know with people like that you know they're just trying to find a way, you know, monetize off of the free game to give them. Because keep in mind, they don't have to give that game, you know. They can keep that game to themselves and let people struggle and fight off for themselves. But, you know, they want to make it easier because they put themselves, you know, in that producer's position. Because you got to put yourself in a position. Like, what happened if you're in that position? You got to think, like, you know, you got to think about how would you feel if someone gave you that kind of game for free. So you're going to, you know, emphasize, put yourself in other people's shoe instead of thinking about yourself and think about how can I make a quick buck off of these, off of these people curiosity. You got to put yourself in them people's shoes. So big up to all the people, you know, who, you know, help out, who help out the people and they see them when they're down and big up the people who don't just be, you know, giving description like I'm going to tell you how you could, you know, become a better producer. If you want to figure out how to become a better producer, hit this link below. Hit this link, click this link below in the advertisement below. And you go to the page, you see invoice of paying $50 just for a course. Don't big up them kind of people. Big up them kind of people, you know, who basically, you know, help out the producers and help out other people when they see them when they're so down. You know where I, I do think it's completely fair to charge. Um, so I was, uh, is like, so I tell you how to do it, <clears throat> but I'm not going to tell you how to do it for you. Like in your little world, if you want me to apply my skills to your life and we're going to book an hour long session and I hang out with you and you tell me about whatever you're doing. And then I give you game specific to like you, that's worth money to me. Cause I have to put an hour of my life into that shit. So once you start taking time like that is different. So coaching, I think, is a very valuable approach. And, like, sure, you could say whatever, but, like, I mean, that's what companies do. They pay you for your specialty. So if I put all that time in it. So here, why you're paying me to do this, as an example, is because you don't want to Google for 10 hours. And I already Googled for 10 hours. So exactly. like, 
already like with chat gpt and shit i was like i'm gonna learn about chat gpt it's super interesting it's changing the world and i know that most of my friends do not want to google they don't want to go through chat gpt so if i go through the process of creating like a course for chat gpt cool i'll make the course but where i would make money is actually just hanging out with you and you tell me what you need done and then in front of your face, I ask ChatGPT the right questions and we get shit done. Now that's that's not free anymore. Like it might be free at first for my homies, but it's not really free if I don't really know you like that. Because now we're like taking time on it and it's basically a job. But the course, bro, I'd be writing blogs and shit like, here's how to use ChatGPT. Motherfuckers don't want to read it. So if they don't want to read it and they have to come talk to me directly, that's when I'm like, hmm, maybe this should start costing money for that kind of interactions. But yeah. I always try my best to put knowledge out, even in these interviews. Like, yo, if you really want to know most of the shit I know, go watch all the interviews I've done because 80% of my music game knowledge comes from these interviews lately. It's just I talk to people who are more successful than me. They tell me all their game. I go learn about it, etc. repeat. Even this, like, hashtag research. How to fucking leverage tools at your disposal. How to, like, t you know, all of this shit's game but people don't want to watch the interviews necessarily they want to come holler at exactly. me to get the bullet point version now i'm okay with charging if you're lazy about it but like if you're willing to go through the content like and actually explore shit like i made a, a video once just for like um explaining how to deal with latency issues when you're recording on obs because at the time it was new and COVID, it kicked in and nobody knew how to rap on beat. <laughs> I couldn't find a video. So I made that video once. And it really helped some people. I'm cool giving away knowledge. But if you want me to do it on your computer, it's different. Anyway. You're at me. At the same day. time. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. And at the same time, and at the same time, too, you know, we need more, you know, people like you in the city doing what you're doing, you know, because when I seen some, I seen some of your interviews, you know, before in the past before, and, you know, always spread always spread some game, you know, always, always, you know, spread some knowledge or spread some game, like, like, like you mentioned before, these, you know, typical kind of interviews, and I'm, I'm gonna say this for a fact, I seen a lot of interview sessions that, that is conducted from a lot of people in the city, in the city. And nothing don't and and not and barely any of them come close to like this kind of platform too, you know, because you know, you're really, you know, trying to, you know, understand the artists and make people, you know, understand more about artists. So, you know, appreciate, you know, what you're doing. And if we had more people like you in the city, you know, doing what you're doing, not only for just people, to, but to give credit, them. there is more people doing it, thankfully. Just not as many. But like yeah. just shout out like Hustle Podcast as an example. They really be doing their shit. And I just want to give some love, you know, for exactly. what I do. Like, I think, and if uh, you had, so go on, yeah. And if you had, you know, you know, more people like, you know, doing what you're doing, you know, for underground, because keep in mind, you don't, and I know for a fact that, you know, you don't have to do this for upcoming artists, but you still do, you know, still, you know, you know, try to, you know, listen to artists and stuff, you know, and interested and in not only knowing about the artists, but, you know, you're also thinking too, that people also want to know about this artist too so also you know you know put an artist out there and if you had you know more people like this kind of podcast you know doing what you're doing the montreal music scene specifically the english music scene be so up right now but just to that point i think what you're doing with the remixes kind of plays a very similar role right like 
actually seeing somebody Don King or Don the King remixed fucking Nate Husser's this song or puts and it's always these Montreal people and yeah. <clears throat> while usually it is the bigger names like you know that like we know but like it's just always Montreal like yo these Montrealers are so hot that Don the King saying fuck everyone else I'm remixing these guys I, I, I don't know what the reach is like I don't know how many people see it but I saw it and I caught my eye and I listened to a few of them and I'm like yo this is interesting because, like, if you think back to, like, New York in the 90s, you learned a lot about mixtape culture, which is a part of hip-hop that is wildly not documented because it was super in the streets and it was super physical products. So, like, unless somebody actually kept that disc, uh, uploaded it to YouTube, like, there's just a lot of shit that gets, like, lost to time, you know? And... um because of that, we don't know about how many people were actually doing what you're doing now back then and how much reach it did to help these local artists, how much it did to boost the guys that turned out to be the people that we praise in Montreal when we think about the golden era and shit. So like, there's this whole other ecosystem of DJs and producers kind of remixing and building content around the local scene to build hype in it and like... As much as I like, I do the interviews. Like music's super a sound thing. So if more people was doing what you're doing, yo, it would go a lot quicker, I think. And then people would come watch the interview because then they're more curious. And you know the reason why. And I'm gonna tell you, you know, um, where where Spaceville Hi-Fi is concerned, I'm gonna you know tell you the reason why I do it and you know the inspiration behind it. But first, I'm gonna mention the reason why I do it. For the past couple of years, you know, I would notice because, you know, being, you know, hip to the music scene and stuff. But there's one thing I noticed, too, you know, there are some things as like, you know, holding back the English music scene. And one of the things that's holding back the English music scene in Quebec is basically the language barrier. And what do you basically mean that, you know, because, you know, Quebec is mostly a French province. So, you know, the Quebec government is going to mostly, you know, support French, French stuff. But as for the English artists and stuff, you know. The English artists in Montreal have to work 10 times more hard than the average artist because the thing a lot of English Montreal artists don't, and I understood this from like when I was a teenager up to now. So the thing about it to where French artists is concerned, seeing as a French province, by default, the French artist is naturally going to, you know, prosper. It's naturally going to be pushed because, you know, Quebec is basically like a French province in itself. But as for the English artists, you know, Keep in mind where Quebec is concerned, there's a lot of discrimination that the Anglophone community face. So, and the people in that community that face the most English artists. So, for an, in order for an English artist to succeed, they would have to do these three things. They'll basically either, you know, pay big bucks of money, pay big bucks of money, you know, to succeed. They would have to, you know, go towards another country, go to go beyond Quebec. And I don't mean going to Toronto. Which I'm just I gonna mean, put going, it out there. You just also said you need big bucks of money. <laughs> Even yeah, when because when you're going you to it. another place, like I've talked to some people, and like part of my plans now is to stack up and try out LA for a minute when I can get there. Bro, you need like twenty, thirty grand on deck, Canadian, to like yeah. survive for like four or five months in another country with no job. Yeah. And the thing about it too. You'd have to, you know, you have, and in order for another reason, I talk about you need big bucks of, you need big bucks of money, because you know, 
because where the French artist is concerned, they don't have to worry about paying that much big bucks money because, you know, the French music scene is naturally back in support. They don't have to worry about additional money they don't have. Number two, in order for an English artist to succeed in Montreal, Quebec, they would have to, you know, make a name for themselves outside the province. And I don't mean make a name for themselves in Toronto, because a lot of people think Toronto's Los Angeles. I mean, make a name for yourself beyond the country. Number three. Yeah, he's spitting facts, bro. He's spitting facts. Number three, a way that an English artist have to succeed is that they would have connections. They basically have to know people that know people. So as a result, where the English artist is concerned, the odds, the odds are stacked against English artists because if you look at French artists, and, you know, and I don't got nothing against the French music scene because, you know, there's some French music I listen to that come from the scene where I, even I don't understand what they're saying, you know, I'm rocking the vibe. In order to say some real stuff, but at the same time, anybody could see this. A lot of French artists are popping in the city. A lot of them have like 100,000 views, close to a million views. And compare that, and compare that to the English artists, they're barely hitting a 1,000. Some of them be lucky if they hit like, you know, 50,000, a good example. I, I promise Comp you, most of us, they hit 50,000 paid. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing about it too, for example, a couple of years back in 2021, there was like the Montreality, there was like the Montreality cipher. I don't know if you've seen it, but there was like the Montreality I, I cipher. That. I really there didn't like even the, know that. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, there was like the Montreality cipher where, you know, there was like the French, there was like the French artist was performing. And if you look at it right now, it's like 80,000 views where that's concerned. But if you compare that to like the English version where Montreal artists such as um, K-Bands, um, Slim, Kidderiz, if you compare it to that, they have like 10,000 views. So you can really see the big difference where views is concerned because, you know, like I said, as the French province is concerned, so they'll mostly be like, you know, is for the French artists concerned, they naturally get pushed by default. There's basically outlets for, for you know, French artists to flourish and, you know, um, get big. But as for English artists in the music scene is concerned, there's not enough outlets. If you look at the these Montreal promo pages concerned, you mostly see a lot of the artists has been promoted as mostly, you know, French artists compared to English artists. Like when you do, like, for example, top 10 music videos that dropped this week. It's like top 20 music videos. They would have like 15, you know, French artists that, you know, of new songs they just dropped and like five songs that English artists just dropped. And you could really see that, you know, the bias that's concerned because there's a lot of English artists, you know, that's dropping uh, a lot. Just like, because oh. you know, you're saying some wildly great shit. I love what you're saying. One thing to keep in mind is only 12.5% of Quebec is English. Yeah. So it's it, like, exactly. So, like, at a ratio level, let's say there's probably like, I'm ballparking 2,000 English rappers, there's probably like 15,000 French rappers. Cause like I exactly. talk to a lot of French rappers and bro, they do not. They're like, yeah, I don't know what y'all English people be thinking, but like, it sucks being a French rapper too. <laughs> like, um, exactly. So if you're one of the ones that, so I saw a really interesting post that talked about um, the Quebec and Canadian music scene versus other places. So because of the grant system, it's very socialist, which kind of means the government chooses uh, who wins, which. With regards to what you're saying, yo, good luck being an English white dude getting a grant. <laughs> like, good <laughs> fucking luck. You can, 
it does happen, but it's almost like winning the lottery. Um, yeah. But um, if you're French and you go for grants, it's completely different. You're a lot more likely to get a grant. Uh, and that's just the way it works here. I know everyone is like, however, like there's ways to get grants, but yo, it's it's really challenging to, to rely on it as an Anglophone in Quebec, which makes sense. And then when you're playing Factor in Canada, you're up against the whole country and you got to make pop music and shit. So it's like, well, not pop music, but like, it's probably like, you're letting the government decide ultimately what you're making. Whereas if you look at the American music scene, it's purely capitalistic. As in, like, yo, my man's dropped a project. They made $100 fucking packages, right? They sold the CD with a bandana and a lighter and a this and a that. It was a whole bunch of shit for 100 uh, USD a pop, and then they made back their money. And the way music works there, it's straight like that. Like, you make money however you make your money, and then you invest in your career, and the people who want it the most get it. And even to get a label, you still have to do fire enough things to, like, attract the, the label people and shit, right? It's not just, like, given to you. These guys worked hard. And then that comes from the lack of socialism. Like, in America, if you're poor, you're poor. You don't eat. <laughs> you know, like, it's not the same. Like, yeah, there's food stamps and shit, but it's not like it is here where you get welfare and a bunch of other social services and shit. Like, we have a much simpler time. So... When you look at the socialism in the music scene, I feel like it just doesn't create the kind of innovative hustle that allows the Anglophone community to be like real with their shit. Like if we treated it all like businesses and ignored the grant system entirely, like I've just ignored grants. Like I'm like, fuck it. I'm not getting a grant. How can I build a business? And then you start figuring out how can I make connections in other places? How can I build? How can I do all this? You just treat it like I don't need the government to win. Uh, all of a sudden you can make bigger moves but then i just feel like there's something about quebec where people kind of like the handouts and everybody's just reliant on these handouts and then you like look up grants and they're like man you could just make that money in a year <laughs> like but people don't really want to hustle like that like like i was just in new york city bro like there's a hustle in new york city it costs it costs so much money to live there you just can't afford to be lazy and that exactly. translates to everything. I don't know. And it's, and and exactly, you know, that is and you know that is facts too. Cause like I was mentioning, you know, where the English, you know, music scene is concerned. If you get, get um, if you look at your phone right now, you see like a Montreal promo page. Most likely nine times out of ten, you mostly you know see the French music scene mostly promoted than the English than the English music scene. So as a result, you know it makes it you know harder for English artists to push. And the thing about it, there's other factors they gotta consider too, which is holding back the Montreal um the English Montreal music scene's concern. Not only some three things that I just listed, but there's other things too. You have some people that basically in their mind thinking that you know that they already made it, that they already that they're like you know in drake's position when they basically didn't even do nothing or put in much work yet a lot of people you know have like you know cocky mentality thinking that yeah i'm the biggest in the city i'm the hottest in the city like bro put in more work you you see yourself so much farther if you basically you know put in the work and too many people in the city a lot of people in the city you know is too comfortable a lot of people like you mentioned before a lot of people's dependent a lot of people just too comfortable a lot of people just you know expecting a handout like in in this and in, in it's life too nobody's gonna give you a handout you gotta you know get on your own and another thing Facts. that's holding 
another thing that's holding back the English scene in Montreal too. You have a lot of you have a lot of hatred, you know. You have too many, you have so many bad-minded, bad-hearted people that do not want to see you succeed. They want to see you at the bottom. And the moment that you know get to a certain spot, all of a sudden, that's when they want to hate, that's when they want to hate you. Like that's the exact same thing, you know, I that think killed that, off. That um, one part is is that's art. That's every city. That part. Yeah. Exactly, but in Montreal compared to Toronto, like if you compare to you know, if yeah, that's in every city, but you know, it's a real like a disease in Montreal where it's like uh, so much hatred and that. so that Montreal problem shit, bro. I've now talked to people in ten to fifteen cities. It's the independent music scene problem yeah. because, and here's my theory. Most people who pursue art past a certain age are probably on a spectrum on some real shit. Like they're probably a little autistic, a little borderline, a little a little something to pursue art so seriously past this. And that's just anecdote. I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure if you really run the analysis, you'll see it. So you have a bunch of people who maybe aren't the most emotionally stable human beings because arts and emotionally stable are usually not the best of friends um and you have like only like 20 to 30 real slots in any fucking music scene like every other slot doesn't count like there's the people who get the festival bookings and you can see them slm's one um Fucking what's his name? Mr. Severe just did Metro Metro with fucking the Astro Collectives, fucking Joe Dolo and them, they're fire. Um, you start to see Husser clearly got his shit. Shabo and the Craven squad have their corner. And you start and I know Craven and them are big because like when I go to other cities, people tell me about Craven and them. So it's like there's only so many slots that will ever take up the top ten to fifteen blog articles that etc. And there's thousands of us competing for those slots and that's every single city has the same problem and that's every single art field every single genre of music and i think as time goes on people get kind of jaded and they want it more and they want it more but so and so shows up and does well like people see me doing my thing but they they look over how long i've been doing my thing <clears throat> they just see me doing my thing they don't actually look at yo like we put out like 1500 fucking YouTube videos. Okay. Like put out 1500 YouTube videos that are as long as the ones I put out. I promise you'll have results like me. And that's on top of music on, on top of having a job and on top of all this other shit where I learned in there, you go live a life like that, you get results. But a lot of people don't <clears throat> see the behind the scenes or what goes into it. Cause usually when you really on your hustle, it's not that you're gatekeeping. You're just like, bro, I don't remember half the shit I do. <laughs> I just don't remember. That's part of why I started a blog is cause I can't remember last week. <laughs> you know, you're just so fucking doing shit. And then people don't really relate to that life, right? Like they don't relate to it. So they just want the results. They show up at the bars and then we all get booked at the same show. So everyone thinks we're all equals. Yeah. And the thing about it, you know, that, that that's a fact that's a fact right there too that that's true right there and the thing like i was mentioning where the hate is concerned too there the montreal music scene you know would be so far ahead had not been for hate like you remember the artist like you remember the artist too you know bad news brown too bad news brown was you know was blown up was was you know was blown up you know was one of the biggest artists in the city blown up during this time too and the moment that he was about to you know reach a top reach a superstardom that at the hand of bad-hearted people 
because some people just feel that he don't deserve the position that they have. So that's that's the kind of mentality that's holding a lot of that's holding a lot of people back. I can't really speak too much on that because I, I know a lot about that. It is a little more complicated than what you're describing. There is a whole yeah. other side to life that was there. But yes, this type of that whole era of hip hop in Montreal is a strange time. Um, there was a lot of talent and a lot of things going on, but unfortunately, there was also a lot of street activities taking place that a lot of people weren't aware of, and so yeah. I, it's not my place to speak on. But there is just a bit more to it than that, which is I think different than nowadays. Nowadays, it's a little bit like people are treating it not like it's not the same environment as i guess what i'm saying i'm trying to be mad delicate here <laughs> yeah 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 true good point so i basically you know talk about the things that's like you know affecting the english music scene now as you know as you have all that in mind i'm gonna you know talk about you know the influence of the the reason why i made spaceville hi-fi um but but, before, but the reason why i made spaceville hi-fi you know is because i want to like you know make a make like a you know a platform or English Montreal artists, you know, could have a, could have an outlet, could have an outlet so they could like, you know, get big, so they could, so they could, you know, re reach success. We don't have to worry about the big funds. So they don't have to worry about, you know, going to like a whole nother um, country. Cause some people, you know, probably don't feel like going to another country. And some people probably don't even, don't people, even have that much connections. It's not even like that. Some people on some real shit literally can't cross the border. They exactly just can't cross the border y'all can interpolate what you want from that but i've done enough interviews to know that based on life choices people make you sometimes hit a point where your career is going like this and then you just can't cross the border and it creates a real complication for a lot of people exactly so where this platform spaceville hi-fi is concerned you know i want to basically you know make an outlet for Montreal art specifically artists within the Montreal music scene that feel the being slept on so they could just you know get on the sound system so be so basically they could be they could be pushed because the reason why i made spaceville spaceville hi-fi the name spaceville in general is basically like you know like a city where people's mind is like you know taken off the stress people minds taken off the stress you know very you know good very bright cedar people you know just relax and the reason and the way came up with spaceful hi-fi i'm making a song called space bit where the sound space bit is basically like a blend of reggae music and dub with chip tune and synth wave so basically I'll basically you know blend all those together to make my own to make my own sound so basically, and I've been doing this for like two years, been building this craft of space bit for like, you know, two years. So I, I was making this, I'm like, man, it would be sick if I had some, you know, dope Munchal artists to hop on this. But like, how am I going to get Munchal artists hop on this? So for a while, I had the idea of Spaceville Hi-Fi from like 2022, but I decided, you know, until I think of a strategy, I'm not going to launch this. So basically, I remember one day too, last it was like um last summer last summer basically you know you know that beat you know that beat that showbiz was rapping on that you heard mm. showbiz rapping <clears throat> on the footsteps well right. basically originally originally i sent that you know to do to do god of you know clan of of clan the ent and you know just to hear just to hear how he was sound on it just to hear how he would you know sound the beat if he would sound good on the beat so i sent it over to him 
she ended up recording over it. Deuce God was like the first voice on the footsteps space, then Naomi that too. On the whole space, on a, on a space bit beat in general. So her Deuce God, you know, recorded over and recorded over the beat. And here I'm saying in the beginning, yes, Don, and I'm jamming with it. I'm like, yes, it sounds nice. But I didn't do nothing when it comes to trying to figure out how I'm going to push this. So fast forward, I think you're aware that um, Nate Husser was doing like a did it before challenge where he was doing like a did it before challenge where you invite DJs and producers to make the like best remixes of his song. Right. So I remember that the moment he came across this challenge, I'm like, okay, first thing I'm doing, I'm going to make like a brand new space bit, space dim. And if you don't know what space dim is, it's like a space bit rhythm, R-I-D-I-M, space bit rhythm, just space them in one. So the thing I would do, I'm in my mind, I'm planning, you know, I'm going to make a brand new space bit beat. But, you know, I was busy, you know, with stuff, you know, schoolwork and stuff. So, you know, didn't have time to do it. Then fast forward, end up being the last day, the final day, you know, to get your submissions inside. Oh, man, how am I going to, how am I going to, you know, do this remix? If I, how am I going to have time to make this beat and do the remix? Send up come up with an idea. Wait a minute. That beat that I had Deuce God hop on, how about I use that exact same beat and remix Nate Husser's vocals over it? So as a result, I posted that. I did that remix, posted that, and I started doing what and it came up with the idea that, wait a minute, how about I basically remix Munchal artists over the exact same, the exact same beat and just, you know, post it, then do another set of Munchal artists over an English Munchal artist over another beat. Then as I started doing that, I come up with the idea for Spaceville Hi-Fi. We're like, okay, that's just what Spaceville going to be about, you know. I'll basically, you know, listen to English Munchal artists, you know, from the English, from the music scene, hear if I rock the music, you know. I would hit up the artist and ask if it'd be okay if I would do these kind of remixes. Then most times they would agree. So basically, you know, isolate the vocals. Then I'll basically, you know, put it over the new space, space bit rhythm. Then I'll put them all together, make it a mixtape. Then I'll basically, you know, do a DJ mix of it. And the way I do this DJ mix of it, I'm going to tell you my influence where Spaceville Hi-Fi is concerned. My main influence when I do Spaceville Hi-Fi is basically, you know, to Jamaican, to let you know Jamaican culture. Now, right. the thing where, where Jamaican culture, music is concerned, they're basically be like reggae art artists are basically a hop on one reggae beat where they basically be like a reggae instrumental where you have a set of reggae artists that make set, make their own songs over on a reggae rhythm because that's a rhythm reggae rhythms like reggae instrumental so you have a set of artists that record their tunes over one reggae instrumental then have another set of record of another reggae instrumental and that's basically you know how what the what the backbone of reggae music is about because basically like reggae rhythms that go back to like the name, late 1960s that people are still hopping on to this day so that's the kind of thing i was trying to emulate as i was doing spaceville hi-fi with space bits concern where i remix multiple artists and have them on one set of beat then upload it and do it this for the exact same thing as doing that as i'm building a music scene and the main influence for Spaceville Hi-Fi is concerned is Jamaican sound system culture. Now, Jamaican sound system culture is a, you know, thing that, that was done from the late 1950s 
to the early 1960s in Jamaica, basically, where, you know, the radio wouldn't mostly play the new reggae music. So the thing a lot of reggae artists would do is that, you know, they basically had hop on sound systems where a sound system in Jamaica is like, you know, a group of and a group of MCs. Well, in Jamaica, a group of DJs, because, you know, in Jamaica, like, you know, the DJs that are the MC, not a disc jockey, DJs that are the MC. Then you would have the sound selector who would be the one that would, like, you know, play the music, which is basically a modern sense as a disc jockey. So basically, you know, put these big sound systems, speaker together, tie them all up together at like a specific venue at a specific dance hall. So they'll play like, you know, R&B music. They basically play like American R&B music, like, you know, Marvin Gaye, Benny, um, Marvin Gaye, um, Benny King. And they basically have everybody in the dance hall ballroom just dancing, you know, skanking and skanking to the music and skanking. It's basically like a form of dancing to ska music, which is basically like, you know, like the fast paced version of reggae music in the 60s, which basically had heavy influence of American R&B, of American R&B. Now, the thing where a lot of Jamaican sound system is concerned too, you know, you'll basically, they'll basically play it and of the audience, you know, giving forward, which is what a forward is basically, you know, crowd reaction. So they basically play the music and have the crowd hype to it. And during those times, I was like um, a radio station. I was basically like a radio station for a lot of upcoming Jamaican artists. So for Jamaican artists want a chance of success, they basically have to hop on a sound system. And has some system culture involved in Jamaica, you know, the music evolved in Jamaica, like one from ska music to rock steady, which is ska slow down, to reggae music, to um, dancehall. So the thing where sound system culture has evolved is concern is that they'll mostly do like sound clashes where have like another sound system go against another sound system where they basically fight it out of who played the best music and who gets the best crowd reaction wins. Kind of like versus what Swiss Beats is doing with Timbaland. Because right. <clears throat> basically, like, the influence for that's concerned. So as a result, you know, you have the biggest sound system. Like, for example, you have, you know, Sir Coxon, Downbeat. You have, like, Kilimanjaro. You have Stone Love. Then you have King Tubby's hometown hi-fi. Because King Tubby is, like, an engineer who basically, you know, engineer dub music. Or dub music is where basically like like dub the influence for dubstep basically right. the father of dubstep where basically they'll basically like you know manipulate a song yeah. then I'm they'll have really impressed with your almost encyclopedic knowledge of the history of what you're describing because like yeah. bro like you really did your research like you're not just you're not just talking about how you're trying to make the hot new wave you're like, let me break down to you the history of every little inspiration that brought me to this point. I know for you that might be just like what it is, but not be like you deserve extra recognition for how cool that is to be a young person proving that y'all care like that. Because that's something I think older people struggle with is that somebody your age could be this talented, have this level of historical. Like we struggle with that because it makes us feel a little weak. That's what it is. Yeah. But like, I'm really, I'm, I'm, it makes me happy to see this. Like, bro, you breaking down shit where I'm going to have to go Google after some of this. But I'm following it because like, <clears throat> I spoke to a few Jamaicans, you know, Luce God explained the one to to me too. But like, yeah. nah, really, this is crazy cool. So all of this history and culture is just like what inspired 
this one mixtape project? Um, not not mostly this mixtape project, but Spaceville, Hi-Fi, and Space Bit Sound in general. Because I'm, you know, I'm gonna, you know, fast forward. Like you have an engineer, King Tubby, where basically, you know, he like, you know, engineer dub music, where basically dub music is like a remix of a reggae song, where they basically, you know, add emphasis on, you know, the drum and the bass, and you have some instances of the vocals popping in and out. You have the melody manipulated with reverbs, delay, echoes and filters so you have king tubby's hi-fi you basically have the king tubby and you have like the king tubby's hi-fi and the big dj and a sound system named you roy and you roy is basically like the influence basically the basically the original rapper original rapper you could say who was the influence for hip-hop music you roy and there was like you know dj cool herc because you know dj because dj cool herc the person that basically made right. hip-hop Basically, he was born in he was born and raised in Jamaica, and right. he would attend a lot of these. You know, he would basically attend a lot of these sound system as a kid. So you know, he was fascinated by what he saw. You know, with King Tubby's hi-fi. You know, with the music playing, the speakers, people. You know, dancing to the music. You know, real royal rapping over the beat. So what? Um, um, cool Heart decided to do is that when he when he got older, when he got a mature age, he would basically bring a sound system from Jamaica to Brooklyn, New York, and basically try to it was emulate. Bronx. What it was most definitely Bronx. The Bronx, the Bronx. Yeah, exactly. He mostly you know brought a sound system from you know Jamaica to the Bronx, and basically you know do these house parties, or or basically you know basically play music, but. The thing about it where Jamaican South System culture is concerned. The way that the DJs would rap in Jamaica is that they'll basically play like play like the B side, play like the instrumental version of the reggae song. Then they have the DJ rap over, like for example, you have the instrumental version of a Bob Marley song playing. Then you have like a DJ like Shabarang or Bujabantin basically rapping over and give their take on the instrumental and have everybody hype and dance and get hyped to the music. Now, how that reference to DJ Cool Herc is that DJ Cool Herc is Jamaican. He absorbed his environment. So one night, you know, he decided, one night he decided, you know, play funk music, play like a James Brown drums break, James Brown drum break. And he'll mostly play like, you know, drum breaks of funk songs, like how sound selectors in Jamaica play instrumental versions of reggae songs. So he, what he would do is like, you know, isolate the drum break have the drum break, you know, playing over and over again. And people is hype because people never heard the music, you know, play like this before. So at house parties, they're basically, you know, dancing, doing break dancing. And just like how I mentioned of how Jamaican sound selectors that have DJs rap over the dub version of reggae music playing, DJ Cool Herc would basically, you know, have like, um, have like people, you know, rapping over the drum breaks rapping over the drum breaks and people get hyped would get hyped to hear that because people never heard of you know rapping like that you know over a drum break before even though people have been rapping you know before people have been rapping you know before you know cool hurricane kind of stuff because you know people have been you know rapping rapping a bit before cool hurt it's basically like the way cool hurt did that you know helped the start of you know hip-hop music in the 1970s That's facts it's also like it's like the combination of things like Something that's always really inspired me was I read this book and um, How Music Works by David Byrne of the Talking Heads. Even if you don't like the Talking Heads music because it's fucking weird, um, 
this dude is a genius and like it's just such a crazy breakdown of music as theory and it was shit like music is like designed for the environment where it's performed right so in the past there may have been rapping happening but it wasn't in the context and the framing of those block parties with the loudspeakers and everything that was happening in the hip-hop context that recontextualized rapping into the whole lane of hip-hop in the same way that like rock music or sorry jazz music being played in the underground speakeasies or whatever created this whole vibe and environment that created the wave of jazz music of the 20s and shit and it had to do with prohibition and it had to do with all the locations and shit where people would go to vibe out you know the mix of a lot of them were on weed and coke back then so it's all these kinds of things like blend into fucking creating the the environment so when you're describing how he's taking these influences from one place and recontextualizing them in the bronx with this energy in this whole different environment because trust i'm pretty sure jamaica and the bronx are just like not at all the same in terms of vibe like just different vibes um you get hip-hop out of that melting pot because you're right rapping as a vocal yo there's like even across cultures people have done rapped it's just never been like the hip-hop version of rap before exactly and even you roy even because because the thing got to keep in mind too you know a lot of a lot of jamaican artists like you know bob marley for example a lot of them was heavily influenced by the american r&b because during the 50s and 60s the music that'll be playing a dance hall is basically you know old r&b music like one of like bob marley's biggest influence basically um curtis mayfield even 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 um his song even his song one love even the song um one love was mostly inspired by curtis mayfield's song people get ready yeah people get ready where he was influenced by that song is basically making his own version of that song that's how when you search up one love by bob marley you would see people get ready in the sidelines because that was the influence for that song and even you roy mentioned a lot of people called you roy the first rapper even you roy himself his biggest influence was the r&b artist lewis jordan because basically there's like this youtube video of the <laughs> 1940s of the 1940s of like this group called the jubilees were basically like R&B group and they're basically like rapping. And from the 40s is rapping, that's the same kind of thing that a lot of Jamaican DJs took influence from. So it's like, you know, influence for influence. So when you fast forward to the Bronx now, when you when you fast forward to the Bronx now with all the influence at play, you get what you call hip hop. And they didn't mention before of how you have sound clashes, like for example, yeah, Stone Love versus Kilimanjaro, you know, Base Odyssey, you know, Sturgov, you know, versus each other to see, you know, who gets the best car reaction. We have, you know, DJ Cole Hurt doing the exact same thing, like against DJ, like African Bambada too, where they basically, you know, be playing like, you know, the best music to see who gets the most car reaction. Like, I remember I was watching this video too, of there like the sound clash going on with DJ Cole Hurt and Africa Bambada, where basically, you know, they're like flipping through drum breaks and they're basically going to play like good rare funk music drum breaks and to see what will get the crowd more hyped and more excited. And Cool Herc mentioned they picked up this rare drum break that it took people 20 years to find the world's original song because it got people so hyped. What he basically did is that, you know, he took the drum break from the song Apache and basically, you know, played the drum break over and over again. Because that's the sample for, you know, jump on it, get down, jump on it, jump on it by the Sugar Hill Gang. So the moment he played that song, automatically won the song clash. 
and people, you know, got hyped and went crazy. Yeah, there's a cool ass video on YouTube. I don't know what it's called, but if you look into the history of that sample, bro, like there's a lot of great documentation. I know you've probably seen it, but for the people watching, it's really like I think it's one of the most sampled pieces of music in history. Like Facts. Might, I don't know if it's number one, but it's definitely on the list. The number one sample song is the Amen Break by the Winston Brothers. Mm. I knew it wasn't number one, but yeah, that's the one. And then I saw there was a GoFundMe at one point to try to get them some bread because they didn't get paid off of any of that yeah, shit. Yeah, because a lot of hip-hop artists that sampled that drum bake that basically, you know, didn't pray, didn't pay the original makers of, you know, the drum bricks. So, you know, like was mentioned before, you know, that's, you know, influence of hip-hop, you know. There's basically, you know, parallels basically compare. Because when people say... When a lot of people say that, you know, Jamaicans have influenced hip-hop music, a lot of people thinking that is Jamaican music. Like, Cool Hort did not play reggae music at those at those block parties. The way, the reason why we say that, you know, Jamaican music have an impact on hip-hop music is the fashion and the way that things got done, the way the music was brought to the people, as soon as music was brought to the people in Jamaica, because, you know, in them block parties, you know, you have cool, you have cool work, you know, playing the drum break, the instrumental break of a famous funk song, and people, you know, would dance and rap to it, like how in Jamaica too, the sound selector play like, you know, the dub version of a reggae song, the, um, the DJ would basically, you know, rap over it, and basically the people, you know, would dance, you know, the man would grab onto a woman and basically dance with her, you know, and the woman, you know, would whine, which basically, you know, a woman, like, you know, you know, moving her body around in a man, too. So basically, you could see that, you know, there are similarities, you know, between that. So uh -huh. as I know, so as I know all that before, I was influenced, you know, to do this, like, you know, sound system or Spaceville Hi-Fi, Spaceville Hi-Fi is concerned. Because the same way that there is platform made for upcoming artists in Jamaica from the Get Heard, I want to make a similar kind of platform for striving English artists to get heard, even though they're not getting, you know, that much exposure from like, you know, the city of, you know, Quebec and stuff. And the influences, you know, for space bit, for space bit music, you know, the artists I look up to, the engineers I look up to as influenced space bit is, you know, King Tubby. You have um Prince Jammy, you know, Lee Scratch Perry, Scientist. So I was as I listened to that dub music, I was blown, I was blown away. So I just say, you know, make them same kind of make them same kind of space bit beats where basically make the melody, the drums, all that kind of stuff. Then because when it comes to doing that, that's the easy part to make. It takes like, you know, hour an hour and a half to make when it comes to like the dubbing part of it that's to take a lot of time because after like you know make you know after you know going to that you know make automations of each specific sound and route specific effects to each sound that's playing and basically play around play around with it and that would take hours and that would like you know take hours to do by the end of the day you know i was making a new sound because the main point of space bit it's to basically make people feel like they're in the future outer space and just take people's mind off to struggle and stress. Cause you know, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of stress going on this for a lot of people thinking like, you know, how am I gonna make, you know, I'm so stressed out, you know, like why, like, like what kind of life is this? So I wanna build something so people can, you know, take the mind off this take the mind off the struggle that's so when a re take the mind off the stress that's so when a remix these artists 
I take a very good listen to the artist's music. It's not just any English artist just put on. No, I'm just, you know, listening to um, the English artist, the artist's music and just listen to what they're saying to hear if they're saying some, you know, real stuff, some stuff you can vibe to because the vibe that they're giving off of the music is going to be reflective of the vibe that's going to be given off over this beat. And I don't want no bad vibe reflected off of this off reflect off of the sound i'm making because i want to push a new sound and people and people mind is still inside that same sad space i want to make you know a sound that you know to take people off that sad space so you know i'll take a good analysis of the music that the artists listen to and make sure it's good stuff to talking about because that's one thing that's holding you know the music scene in Montreal back is in is the whole there's a lot of things holding back the English Montreal music scene in Montreal because I have a lot of artists Trust that's also the French scene, but yes, the French scene, the French scene too, the French scene too. But specifically, you mostly hear this with English scene because you know, and you know, the Montreal music scene in general. Because the main problem is holding Montreal music scene as a whole in general back is concerned. Not a lot of people want to be themselves these days. A lot of people just, you know, want to put on a facade. You have a lot of these people that want to, you know, act like they're hard and stuff too. And the thing about it too, not a lot of people can relate to that kind of appeal because a lot of people can't relate to fakeness. Only people can only relate, you know, to the realness and stuff too. Because, you know, a lot of people want to talk about, you know, how much women they got, how much hoes they got, you know, how much money, you know, how much job, you know, and never lack and pop to my spot, bang, bang, all that stuff. And you have a lot of people then, you know, that's just doing that kind of stuff. That's the most popular thing. You have a lot of people hopping on drill beat, and a lot of people never hit a drill or hit a lick in their life. So at the same time, too, you know, at the same time, too, you know, a lot of people not being real with themselves, and people like me and you, we could see right through that. And if me, people like me and you could see through that, the audience could see for that, too. So, so I have a theory as- on that shit. I think it's, um, like, I'm in a place where uh, I got to travel, right, when I was... In 2013, I got to go to Pakistan for a month to go. It was with my day job. It was wild, though, because you go to somewhere like that, bro, you're not, it's nothing is the same. Like, nothing. Bro, I didn't see cleavage for a month. It's crazy. It's a different life. <laughs> um, then I went to Israel eight months later because I'm Jewish. I went on the free birthright trip. <clears throat> and then, you know, across the day, I went to Toronto, had some experiences there, ended up meeting people, going to New York and shit. So, like, for me, like, travel, and then I read a lot of books and shit, like, this this just kind of made me more interesting. And I think a lot of people's lives are kind of the same. So, to me, interesting is, like, standing out, like the, but standing out in a genuine way. And if a lot of people go home and play the same Call of Duty and, you know, kind of have very similar lives, they wear the same polo, no disrespect to polo, I'm not a low life, all up to the low lives, but, like, a lot of people just wear polo, and then you, you start looking at it, and it's almost like, on the day-to-day, there's no adventure, there's nothing to write about, so they fall back on what's familiar and the patterns of what they hear, whereas, like, for me, I'm just trying to, like, live my life to the fullest first, so that my art can reflect what my life is like. And I don't think a lot of people prioritize, like, life. They prioritize everything else, but their lives just kind of end up being so similar. So all the music kind of sounds a little bit similar. This isn't everybody. If the shoe fits, the shoe fits, and I'm not attacking nobody. But even if you're, like, on one side of life and you're in the streets, 
however your life plays out but like if everybody has the same like twenty dollar an hour job customer service restaurant shit and then you know if everybody's doing the same thing and then all the music's gonna kind of come off in a similar wave because you're listening to the same stuff to relate like it i don't know to me it's like like somebody like husser lived a life that is clearly unlike our lives he does adventures he's had crazy moments and he's been on tv he's done all this shit so when you listen to his music and you, you look at the whole package of Husser, you know he's coming from a place of interesting. And it takes like living a more cultured life, I think. I think people need to figure out how to live differently so that exactly. their art can reflect that. That's what exactly. I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And I agree 100%. And like I said, too, I'm not attacking. I'm not attacking anybody at all. You're not attacking anybody at all. You know, if that's what you feel like doing, go ahead, do your thing, whatever floats you out, do it. <laughs> but eventually there's gonna come a time, you know, where people are gonna gonna see gonna see right through that. Cause that's why, you know, Munchell, some of the music that, you know, that's like taken off to a Munchell, not mostly the rap, as like, you know, R like R and B music. The R&B music scene is taken off big in Montreal too. You know, some artists like, you know, like Xena and stuff, for example, Kayla Allen and stuff, you know, them artists, you know, just taken off with R&B scenes concerned. The dance outs, even the pop scene is concerned. The reason why a lot of them genres take off, take off right before, right before the music scene, music scene in Montreal is concerned. I'm not saying every single Montreal artist do it, Montreal rapper do this, but the reason why those genres of music take off faster then the hip hop music in Montreal is because them artists and them R&B, the dance, all the pop music, they're being real for themselves. They're being real and they're basically speaking stuff that people could relate to yeah, and identify also, with. I got to add one more thing to that shit because I've been thinking a lot about parties and stuff, right? Like, So like um, this Saturday, Daddy Macer and a couple other dudes, Red Dread, are going to be doing this like love party at Odyssey on Saint Laurent. I think it's free entry and yo i guarantee you there's gonna be women there and i guarantee you it's gonna be positive vibes because they're gonna be playing the hits of reggae and dancehall and shit and they're not gonna be playing no rap rap they're gonna be playing fun shit that people know the words to sing along you crap you know i don't even know reggae like that but now i know these songs because i keep going to these parties and i keep hearing the songs and i'm singing along the shit i never even i couldn't even do it right now but when this song come on and it's these vibes that get curated by these djs and what i noticed r&b singers can get that reaction from a crowd rock singers can get that from a crowd and shit like people pull them in people want to dance they get entranced but like for some reason rap parties just aren't like eliciting that level of fun in people the, the hip-hop shows i don't know what to do about it personally i think maybe yeah. we have to make funner music for life or something but like it doesn't feel like the people that want to go out and have fun on a friday night want to spend their time in environments where they can't dance and turn up and, and the then, thing about it yeah I'll go. and then like i guess as artists you know you don't want to sell out and shit but there is like yo listen i have my joint lose weight is upbeat, motherfuckers like it live, but the song's like, yo, stop whining about shit. If you want to fuck her, get in shape, bro. Sure, you got some game. You know, like, that's the song in a nutshell. But it's also like, you know, be healthy. You don't want to die and shit. So it's like, but it's like this proactive shit. And like, I always try to think, think okay, like, I got songs that I don't want to perform live because like, you're thinking about it. You're out on a Friday night. Like, you want to be listening to that at the venue when there's girls and shit around? Nah, you want some shit that, like, maybe you get to go grind on shoddy. Otherwise, yeah. like, 
And I think that there's a disconnect between the goals of rappers and their music and the desires of audiences on a Friday night when they're at a fucking venue at a show. And that disconnect hasn't been figured out yet. Because then our shows are hot and people want to come to them. And I don't actually have the solution. I am in the process of failing to figure this out. I'm learning through failure. (laughs) And we will figure it out. And at some point, I don't know the solution. But once we can find the right recipe of artists and sounds that attracts the right kind of party but still has the live environment, that's when we get to create the footage that we can show people is lit. Because right now, a lot of our footage is you don't show the crowd. And it's exactly and the thing and the thing about i agree 100 percent what you're saying too because the reason why a lot of artists would feel you know to resort you know to you know the cap and stuff because you know they see us as popular they see us as trending but you know in life you know not just music you know you just got to get beyond your comfort zone and just you know you just got to you know take risks like you know the a lot of the music scene every soul friday you know just a lot of people you know just become real, just become real with yourself. Cause you know, cause, cause, and the reason why a lot of people feel that they want to, they don't talk about them being real. Cause a lot of people think that they will lose views or that wouldn't sound as cool as that kind of lifestyle they're talking about. Like all that's doing is making it look bad for the people that is actually about that life. That's all that's doing. So, you know, to be fair, I think a lot of artists don't want to do the business side of it all to be real with you. Like, when I talk to beat makers, <clears throat> videographers, those people, their number one complaint is rappers don't want to pay for shit. Rappers want the whole world for free, and the business side is weird. And, like, I'm a branding guy. Like, if you follow me, you know I'm selling pickle shit. I went as far as to get the fucking chain and shit. But it's because I've sold 22 items of clothing with pickles on them to people so far. And I barely focused on this. This just kind of happened in the middle of other shit. So I capitalized on it. But, yo, it took a lot of understanding community to get this pickle thing to be a thing. And now it's a thing. Like, Steel of Smith & Wesson was telling me last week that some girl he's vibing with wants to steal the pickle shirt I gave him. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? so cool. <laughs> um, but, like... That wasn't an accident. That's good business practice and understanding people and recognizing food content was super attractive on the internet. And like, okay, so how can I take my personality and mix it with what's actually trending to to mix into something I can sell, right? Like that song is because I was mad. when I started off with a song called I Don't Like Pickle Chips. And I was just annoyed because every time I go, I want pickles, people make fun of me and shit pro pickle people are really like that and everybody that don't like pickles knows what the fuck i'm talking about which is why it works because this is like some real people truth so i was just salty and made a whole goofy song about pickles and not liking shit and fuck you i let me eat what i want i'm a grown man honestly that's the whole song but that resonated with people and it polarized people on this great pickle debate which again is the stupidest shit ever to me but simultaneously it's so regular and people are fucking very comfortable talking about how they feel about this shit and then people started tagging me in pickle shit so i started resharing the pickle shit and it's just become this whole wave for people like people like it and it's so strange but like people aren't willing to embrace the waves of their content like you have to give people hooks you have to try new things like i I recognize that you know like people want your life so i started a vlog recently 
it's not my comfort zone. It's so hard to remember to take pictures and videos and all this shit and then to sit there and fucking edit it for 45 minutes on my phone and shit. But, like, that's, like, creating the content to market my brand so that people care about my music because, like, that's always been part of the game. And when you look at that side of it, I don't really see artists pursuing it. I don't really see artists... Like, yo, people your age be wildly doing this shit too, right? Like, so you got to think about it. If the average real consumer of music is going to be 16 to 24, because everyone older don't give a fuck, and y'all are on TikTok doing TikTok shit, how are we even supposed to communicate with y'all if we're not willing to be where you are and kind of communicate via the ways that you communicate? It's super weird for me to have to convert it into that. But, like, if I want to be authentic to myself i have to find a way to do it for me but i also have to be willing to change with the times lest i be so authentic i'm a dinosaur that can't compete so i don't see artists willing to adapt that quickly to this type of shit yes some are willing to but like when it comes to marketing bro like people be wildly not interested like even this whole show right like i recognize that what i was doing as a rapper wasn't enough and I needed a way to attract the attention of rappers in my city to gain some clout, as the kids call it. And so I started interviewing people because apparently nobody else was really doing interviews. Not to say that there weren't. I know 514 Online Mix and I helped build each other up when we started doing this because we were hitting the same people. We both started independent of each other. And... Um, all of a sudden, you know, there's more shit now. But when you talk to like 150 people in the city and you put them on your, your show, you people don't perceive you the same no more. All of a sudden, you're like providing value in a, in a completely different way. And I say all this to, to just kind of be like, I think artists also need to think about value they provide. Like, yo, some of y'all can be artists that are managers and somebody could just learn to be a booking agent and somebody could learn about like sync placements and like we don't all have to be fucking the same shit. So like for me, I saw this vacancy in blogs too recently. I know like it's, it's, I don't know how I'm going to manage it all, but like nobody's writing about our scene. So like nobody is writing about me when I perform live so I can quote it on my press kit. So to fill that need... I started writing about other people performing live. I think it's a little tacky to quote myself. <laughs> but the thing is, is like these these are roles in the city that are lacking if we want to talk about industry. There's not enough bloggers. There's not enough fucking album reviewers. Not like fucking corny reaction shits, but people putting it in writing. People creating real media. Um, there's not enough booking agents. Like when was the last time anybody talked about their booking agent? That's a whole job that's different than manager. A manager works with the booking agent. Then there's PR people. Ain't nobody being a PR person. And when you start, like, thinking about it, you're like, oh, but everybody a graphic designer. <laughs> Everybody's become their own sound engineer and shit. But, like, yo, I'm a pretty mediocre sound engineer, and I know it. I know how to do enough basic bullshit to survive as a rapper if I need to put something out. Basic bullshit. But there's not a lot of interviewers like this. There's not a lot of journalists, we can call it. I went down a journalism route. So, like, why are people not taking on additional roles? Especially in your 30s, bro. All the rappers in their 30s have multiple roles. There's almost no such thing as a successful rapper in his 30s that's just a rapper. You know what I mean? That's, that's true. Because, you know, you have a lot of rappers, you know, every single rapper you know I've done this, every single big rapper like Jay-Z and them, where they, you know, 
or you know they start off you know in the streets then they go to rapping and they build a career then after you know their career you know is then you know they're not relevant no more they venture out they venture out you know into business and become millionaires a good example is um chameleonaire i'm riding they see me rolling they hate him like after after you know his career you know started going down going down especially after the ringtone era went down he started you know investing in business and it ended up becoming you know one of the richest rappers in history just to be clear it was make something the youtube whatever he's in he's invested in one of the largest youtube networks right now right now like like i watch people like todd in the shadows and a bunch of other guys and they're like under his like umbrella company and shit and it's like he got in in like 2010 i think and he makes so much money off of tech that like the rap doesn't matter you know like like he's i think he's one of the biggest winners of music to be honest with you actually he took a lot of people may a lot of people may say that he took a lot of people may say that he fell off for music is concerned or longevity is concerned he took the biggest dub the biggest one compared to everybody else in his field where rapping is concerned or at least in his era because jay in his era yeah. took a took a bigger dub. yeah 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 you know <laughs> but you know jay-z and chameleon is you know two perfect examples of where you know you can't see yourself trapped on beyond your comfort zone you know you got to see yourself you know beyond your comfort zone you or gotta look at see kanye yourself I mean, look at what Kanye did to fashion. Like, I bought some Thanks. shoes from French Connection, and they're basically like wannabe Yeezys. Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, music, it's not just rap in general, you know. Music could only, you know, music could only get you so far, too. And especially, too, you know, with a lot of these, you know, messed up record deals, these messed up record contracts is concerned. A lot of artists don't end up seeing the money that they're supposed to get or the money they hope to get. So a lot of them, you know, venture out to other things to recoup, to recoup some of the money. And when they venture into business and stuff, they realize they're making way more money in business than they do in music. Like for example, Beats by Dre, for example. You know, you know how much of a billionaire made Dr. Dre's company, Beats by Dre? Yeah, way more than how much he would receive just doing music uh, than just doing music alone. Even though he made a lot of money off of music. Yeah, I'll be a hundred percent with you. My music is currently just an advertisement for the rest of my life. Like that's kind of how I see it now. Like, I think my podcasts are more monetizable. Like that ass. Like we just got to interview Agala Don Bishop, fucking Steel of Smith and Wesson and Dinko Dia, leaders at a new school. Once those are out imagine who we get on the next trip type thing you know like we building this shit and that's not like i have a parallel show that's basically this show but with my man's in new york so that's more like the one i see popping whereas this is like the montreal version or like the more local it's my shit version but either way it like just to your point like i had to go to another city to actually build up my portfolio like I uh, I got to interview Martel Technique, and that was, like, the big one that, like, changed. And even that changed shit back home because it's like, what can you say to me? I got to go interview Martel Technique based on the merit of my skill as an interviewer, dude. And he gave us more time than he initially offered us, which is fucking great. Uh, and so, but, like, you have to leave Montreal sometimes just to see new ways of doing things, too. And it's like you have to be more interesting if you want to be an artist because, like, really you're competing with, like, fucking everything in this city, like, for like two weeks, you're competing with Jazz Fest, bro. For like literally exactly. two weeks. And then you have Just for Laughs, another two weeks that you're competing with. Yo, I wildly see like, 
Like apparently there's an artist that's upset because the show we booked is similar to when their show is, so they're mad. And I don't know nothing really about the nuances of it, but like people get jealous if shows get booked too close to each other. But I'm like, bro, it's Montreal. Pick a day of the week. There's a hundred shows. <laughs> like that's just. You know what's crazy is that's something that might be a Montreal problem. Like in in Toronto, Sunday at like midnight, you're you're in bed, bro. Like you're not out. You have work in the morning because Toronto is expensive. So people ain't like, Thanks. like, like it's different. So Montreal, like Sunday at 10 or 12, you're like, mm, there's definitely somewhere I can go. And that's what's crazy about Montreal is there's always somewhere you can go in a way exactly. where like it does create a highly competitive scene. So then artists in Montreal for hip hop have to actually go to other genres of music, go to a rave. I, I performed at a rave um, in the fall and Bro, the set looked like some fucking Stargate shit. Like, they really put effort into building some shit. Like, it probably only cost them, like, 300 bucks, but they knew how to make art. So, like, they made some cool shit. And you're looking at this stage, and you're like, eh, this is just fire. Like, this is fucking cool. And it's, like, the little nuances of creating spectacle we don't do. Like, smoke machines are 500 bucks or whatever. You know, like, these these things that you can do to make your shit look cooler and bigger. And, like, artists just fucking show up at Blue Dog and rap kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly, you know. And, and I see exactly, see exactly, you know, what you're saying, too, you know. And that's also, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to make this, you know, sound system, too. It's so artists, you know, cause so it could be, you know, easier. So it could be like, you know, easier, you know, for artists, you know, just to get a buzz, you know, just to get, just, you know, get themselves heard. And even when they do these mixes, cause I'm pretty sure you're seeing the mix on YouTube where the way I would do these mixes of all these songs over that one beat, I don't just do it a typical DJ thing and it just play the music and just keep quiet. The thing I would usually do is that I'll basically, you know, play the music and basically, you know, talk over the music, pause it, talk over it, talk over and say some funny things and keep the music playing. Just just speak over it just to entertain the people, just to entertain the audience. And, you know, that's a lot of things that was done, you know, in Jamaican music is concerned, too. Or if you basically, you know, go to like a Jamaican party or you listen to like a reggae mix, a dancehall mix on YouTube, most likely you're going to hear the DJ, um, the selector talking over the music and just saying some funny stuff, saying some slick things, or just playing a lot of sci-fi space sound effects over it. So basically that kind of influence, you know, I want to make myself stand out too when we doing these kind of mixes concerns, so I'm just not your regular DJ. And you, I'm going to give you your credit. You have a cool voice for it. Respect. <laughs> Like, you have a personality. Honestly, I like, bro, I heard your shit, and I'm like, I don't think I heard a lot of things that sound like this before. This is cool. Like, I didn't just hit you up. Like, I mean, I hit you up after you had showbiz on. was a big part of it. But, like, also, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I'd seen your post for a hot minute, and then I saw that, and I was like, hmm, this is interesting to me. Because I, I don't see people making moves like that. Just, like, another interesting move is this kid Drew um he's fucking making interesting moves he made a project that was just pure montreal all the features from montreal all the beats from montreal and like he's not the first guy to do it but the fact that he did it he's the first guy in his, his little wave of age group that i've seen do it you know like and so when people make these kinds of moves you see the community centrism you see the way that they're focusing on their city it's like that's what we need more of um 
I'm curious to see how your platform develops more. Like, I, I don't know exactly what you're going to do next with it, but I'm super curious. Like the thing I'm doing now where Spaceville, where Spaceville, um, Hi-Fi is concerned, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be more active on social media where I'm trying to get, you know, more people, Montreal, you know, interested, you know, in, you know, hearing the sound, interested in, you know, being fans in the sound. So the thing I'll usually do, I will not mostly upload that stuff to YouTube. I'll create a social media too. And the thing I would do is that I mentioned before that the main point of space for hi-fi is to basically give artists a plat English artists a platform, you know, so they could, you know, become big. Because, you know, you have some a lot of French artists have a platform too and have a buzz. So I want English artists in the city to have a platform and a buzz too. So the thing I'll mostly do is that I wouldn't mostly, you know, post remix of space for hi-fi. On social media, I mostly do like music promo, where basically, you know, free music promo for now because I'm getting a page off the ground. So I basically, you know, do some research, check out some dope, you know, English artists come from the music scene. Then I'm basically, you know, do like music promotion and like, you know, just promote the artists, you know, promote the songs and the story and the post and all that. And you could check the Instagram page too, Spaceville Hi-Fi, where basically it's just a bunch of promos mostly. And even on TikTok too. The thing I'm mostly, you know, doing, taking advantage of, you know, the short video route. Because the thing I'm mostly doing, you know, is like, you know, top five Montreal songs of each year. Where basically shed light, you know, on some of the hottest music that a lot of the English, you know, artists dropped. That a lot of the English artists dropped, you know, in this year's concern. And I'll do top five because if I do top ten, it will basically be done too soon. So I want to do top five so I have, you know, more and enough content to do. So I have enough chance of, you know, gathering engagement, you know, building up a slow following. So when people see that, people see that Space for Hi-Fi is more than just a sound system. It's actually an outlet for artists because the main objective is Space for Hi-Fi is not to only push the space bit sound from Munchal to the world, but the music scene in general from Munchal to the world too. Cause mm. it's not just hundred percent English artists say just doing these mixes too. I also mix some French artists too at time. Like if you look into the footsteps space the mix, I basically you know remix, you know, artists like Rainman. I remix um Rainman, Dubmatic. So mostly, you know, remix the not only remix the upcoming artists, I'd also, you know, pay tribute, you know, to like the foundation artists, you know, um, the veterans in the Montreal music scene that really helped pave the way for a lot of the artists today. So in that mix, I did like, you know, Dumbatic, they have impact in the music scene. Rain Man too, one of the biggest in the music scene, you know, from the 1990s. So one people listening- I had listening. no idea who Rain Man was when I met him, to be honest with you. We both ended up uh, opening for Killer Priest a couple of months back, yeah. and I'm like, I don't know who the fuck they were. And then yeah. I found out they are, in fact, like huge legends in our scene and have done Facts. a lot to pave the way. And yeah. That's why, like, I think shit like this is actually really important. It's hard to Google the hip hop scene, to be honest with you. I started that project. I have a, a list I made. It's 36 hours of English Montreal hip hop. But it took forever to make it, and it's not like a simple project. I'm actually trying to figure out a guy with a guy how we could um, automate the process and make it like uh, web crawlers pull a bunch of Montreal data. <clears throat> exactly. But, like, but if we can pull that off, man, it's like because I, I, you know what happened? I got annoyed with rappers thinking they sounded original, but clearly had it listened to other rappers in the city. But then I would Google the top five and top ten list, and it's always the same names. And then I realized nobody knows how big our scene is. 
exactly knows and there's not a human in our city right now that can tell you how many rappers are in our city and the thing about it too you know where the montreal music scene is concerned english and french both both language concerned montreal is an english is a unique scene because what city you know basic you know have like a unique english unique music scene like montreal whereas basically you know mostly a both english scene and a french music scene most it's not just even just that scene. there's also a spanish scene where people don't even recognize that there's other scenes like people don't even know how much spanish hip-hop there is here like people act like it and that's the thing is that it's so disconnected also why are the djs the breakdancers the graph people and the rappers so disconnected in montreal there's almost no units in between us exactly like yo there's dj parties you don't see rappers at it yeah. shut up blaster blaster will pull up at her shit but outside of blaster i don't see a lot of djs pulling up to the rap shows unless we pay you to be there to be our dj um yeah. we don't know nothing about the graph people because we don't even pay attention like that. I bet most Montrealers don't even realize there's an active graph scene. <laughs> like, you know, don't even aware. And then the break dancers, they just be doing their own thing. I don't think any yeah. of us talk to them really. And that's like when you think about it, kind of weird. So if if like all these elements are so disconnected from each other, and even on the English and French thing to add to that, like while we separate ourselves as artists, the people of Montreal don't separate us. <laughs> they don't see a fucking difference they i'll bet if english and french people rapped at the same shows more we'd actually just do better because <laughs> most of montreal is kind of a little bit bilingual <laughs> yeah. at least a little bit i'm so close to like, yeah we don't we don't think about the fans as i guess where i'm going what the fans want and what the fans notice or care about we just focus a lot on our shit yeah and plus two, you know, and plus two, the thing from day one, always have faith in the Montreal music scene because, you know, you have, I have a lot of, because I have some friends too, you know, where they just, you know, generalize, you know, some Montreal rappers, you know, oh, Montreal rappers, this Montreal rappers, that Montreal rappers are trash. And the thing about it too is that the Montreal, the Montreal music scene is actually like a unique, unique scene. Like if you actually, you know, dig deep, you could actually find some gold. You actually find some, you know, gold in a landmine that basically not much people know about so what i do with spaceful hi-fi i basically you know find a goal in like the landmine and i basically you know make a platform for it so the masses so the masses could see it so people could see that you know Montreal, that the Montreal music scene have a very good unique scene because you know this is something that the rest of the city needs to know about that the world needs to know about because there are some times where you know American people be reacting to some Montreal music and they're shocked because they're shocked at the fact that you know wow Montreal rappers got talent they're cr whoa crazy like Montreal you gotta give shout out don't actually you're making a good point because we don't not enough of us try to go outside of our city and show our music to the rest of the world facts so you gotta you know give big respect you know to the artists that you know that's really you know breaking the barrier and you know achieving success too like you gotta big up artists like for example like you know artists like you know skyfall you know like xena for example you know all the artists in the Montreal music even they even they hustle too you gotta you gotta really Naya give Ali credit is doing it um zach Sawyer is doing it mm -hmm. i want to give tagans his love too he may not yeah. be as well known, but Tagans is out there doing it. Even the Great Era too, you know. With, Yo, you shout know, out the Great Era. They be doing it. Yeah, so you gotta, you know, give, you know, you gotta give, you know, big shout out your credits, do you know, and just shout out all the artists in the state as, you know, as prospering and being successful because 
where a lot of artists is, is concerned, especially the English scenes concerned, the, the the system was not designed for English artists to succeed. So you got to give the English artists preps for, you know, beating the odds and being successful at the same time. Facts. Yo, I really appreciate this conversation, but unfortunately, I think I got to, we're hitting the point where we've got to move on to other things in the day. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, we've broken two hours, so you're in a good, healthy range for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you're a really smart dude, and I really appreciate a lot of the insights you have in it. And I think it's cool what you're doing with, this, uh, with the, the Spaceville project. If you ever need help with anything, you know, just holla. You know, it's, it really takes a village to build it up, and if people are all kind of sharing a goal of building up this scene, we have to work together and share resources and knowledge and maybe... You know, depending on what you're up against, there's people I've met that can help type thing. And there's a lot more open-mindedness and shit happening once you get into the tier of people who have figured it out. And it's just hard to bridge the gap between those two groups for a lot of reasons. But when people who are making moves come across people who are making moves, the best thing we can do is share resources so if you ever need help with anything holla and we'll see what we can do um thank you but i definitely appreciate you man um all your links and shit are going to be in the description of the video all right and people can follow you like that and hit you up and uh you should, you should, I should all definitely check out what he's making with these waves it's just interesting sounds to me at least I, and it doesn't sound like anything i really heard before i saw like when you're saying it's new yeah. i'm like yeah he's got a point he's on some shit um yeah i think you're impressive and smart and you should really just keep pushing this for real thank um you. with all that though thank y'all watching this because you know otherwise it's just a conversation which is lovely to have but y'all make it a show knowing that people are gonna watch it after um and i appreciate y'all too make sure to like comment subscribe all that good stuff you're supposed to do if you're feeling the way patreon.com slash behind that suit and then you can you know support us more fiscally like that or if you go on the twitch and you have an amazon prime you can give us a free subscription there that's fire too um appreciate all of you watching make sure to catch you on the next time and live long and prosper everyone Thank you.